1: I'm James, I'm Dan. And Dan, wh- where are you located today?
0: Well, I'm located not in the abyss, so I'm, I'm on on vacation in South Carolina. so
1: oh, that's not the 15th layer of the abyss.: No, that's your house. That's, that's true. <laughs> this is very that different.
0: Is. Things have gone very differently for us this week, haven't they? Yes,
1: they've diverged uh, <laughs> a lot. Uh, yeah, what a what a, what a difference a couple of weeks makes. We had or, or was it last week? Two weeks ago? When did we do the tournament? Two weeks ago? No, last week. No, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago we did the tournament. Feels like it was yesterday. I don't know why it feels like that, but we did the tournament and yeah, we had some nonsense, but we'll we'll talk about that later. But uh, we're 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 still here. Uh, we're still moving forward, uh, but we are in the 15th layer of the Abyss, which is pretty bad that we've been going down so far that these are not even named anymore. They're just the 15th layer.
0: Yeah, that, that that's true. And it's, it's amazing that we've been in the Abyss for 15 episodes now. And with no end in sight. With no end in sight. But you know, next episode is episode, what number? You know. what number?
1: Oh. Oh, we know what number it is, and right. it is episode 66.
0: So I'm thinking we may have to find—we need to find an off-ramp on 15. We need to, we need to find a bypass to get to 66, At,
1: don't you think? An abyssal, an abyssal portal.
0: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so unfortunately, yeah, so, so still,
1: still in the abyss. Yeah, but so uh, there's basically books that came out later, The Infinite Abyss, which, you know, is, again, it's, it left the, I guess at some point the lore changed where it, uh, it wasn't just the 666 layers, but really it's just infinite, which again, I guess makes sense. But.
0: Well, it could be like Columbus discovered this, you know, this was discovered, they thought, like, right. they thought it was only 666.
1: That would be, You know, think
0: about it, that's just a bunch of superstition, they just assumed it was because of the number. Right. And then That's the cool Columbus, number. the Columbus of the abyss. Maybe we could be the Columbuses of the abyss. The Lewis and Clark. Of, uh, there you go. Thank you. Yes, Lewis and Clark of the. Um, where's Pocahontas? That's the succubus uh, Pocahontas. That's okay. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So okay. So yeah, we're the Lewis and Clark
1: uh, of the abyss This abyssal exp- expedition through 2020. But uh, yeah, good stuff. Oh, look at me. I moved, and then I went out of focus. I love it. Okay. So um, let's talk some announcements. So anyway, two big announcements. Obviously, today's uh, guest is Jason Elliott. He'll be on later. He's on West Coast Time. And next week, who, do we, who have we confirmed for next oh, week?
0: we are very excited. to Have Errol Otis on next week for episode 66. And this is perfect. But, this was meant to be because he did some artwork, did he not, for
1: Queen of the Demon Web Pits. I I'm pretty sure. I'm 99 percent positive. So,
0: and and so, episode 66, we're going to devote it to uh, Queen of the Demon Web Pits and 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 the Drow, and and Loth, and uh, yeah. But but you know, let's not let's get excited about today's episode.
1: Right, right, right. Just that. So stay tuned next week. And well, people, um, because our schedule completely changes all the time. We're supposed to do every other week, but next week we are going to be on. So, <laughs> we're, yes, we're keeping them guessing. That's yeah. This is, you know, we, clearly we're not doing this to have more people listen because we keep moving our, our, our show around. So, all right. Uh, as we said, GrogCon is delayed, uh, though I, I know we've been sending, getting some talk about uh, doing some, maybe a game or two for the uh, Greyhawk con that's in october so we need to kind of figure out what we're doing with that um summer tournament so speaking of summer tournament we finished that uh how did you think that went
0: i thought it went i thought it went very well we had three teams and i thought uh, all three teams did very well wouldn't you agree
1: yes i mean you have to. no well no i don't have to i can say (laughs) what could have went horrible uh no, I thought I thought they did really good. I, you know, for a, a tour, module, which by the way we will be giving out to our our patrons um, uh, once we finish it. Um, I think it went pretty well. Uh, having three groups, it's a lot of DMing. We we DM Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, I think we were pretty consistent through all three of them. You know, I watched the video. Um, I don't think we were making it easier for everyone. You know. The, the, the concern I always had is the later groups, um, we either have a huge disadvantage or a huge advantage depending on what we learn from the previous ones. You know, as you DM, you start figuring things out. But I think overall, um, they all got to the goal except one group was able to complete the goal and the other two weren't. And, um, it really wasn't a function of us, our DMing, interfering with that. I don't think, which was the important thing.
0: Uh, no, I'd agree with that, and it, and it seems to me that the the big lesson was watch the clock. Right? So the, the team that won sort of moved quickly and and avoided some some big traps, not literal traps, but but basically portions of the adventure which which were time suckers and weren't going to be of a lot of value, and and kept moving along. But uh, I thought everyone did uh, really well. It's a lot of fun. And if you think about it. As our, our good friend, Rob Ritchie, pointed this out, that back in the day with these tournaments, you'd have different DMs who were DMing differently. He's still better, all these yeah. years later, right? About He told me about the one guy from uh, <laughs> Gen, Gen Con South. <laughs> sorry, I think he'd punch him in the nose if he, if he came across him today. So, uh, But uh, that they, they DM very differently. I mean, at least with our adventure, and when I do say at least, I truly mean at least, literally the least. Literally, yeah. you have you have two DMs that are the same, and it's somewhat it's somewhat consistent. So if you think about it, the consistency probably that that we provided was greater than you had back in the day, because you just get a Schmo from wherever, and the other team's got somebody else. It's like having different teachers in college with different uh, grading curves and all that, and different tests. And
1: uh, so, uh, I think it I think it went uh, very well. We were the McDonald's of this; it consistently bland, yes. but. It was consistent. You get a Big Mac anywhere, almost in the world, say for places where they don't serve Big Macs due to cultural issues, your Big Mac tastes the same. That was us.
0: But every now and then, you may like, you know, the guy in the back who's not who's the second day forgets the pickle. So we forgot a
1: we forgot a pickle here and there, right? But the the general you probably got two beef patties. Yes maybe some special sauce. Right. The major points were
0: there. We didn't like to have anyone fight a dragon. Like, oh, we forgot right. about that dragon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At the Oops. end. The big bad. Exactly. There was yeah, a dragon yeah. that was protecting that. that treasure at the end. I'm about, what? Where?
1: Oh, wait, there it is. I, wait, whoops. Whoops, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> None that's, of that. Well, I, and I will say the other thing was that's different, I think, than most tournaments is Team 3. Um, Had They met before. Huh? I had my not. son, that's true, so there was some nepotism. <laughs> Other than that. And he, you know whether he heard, even though I'm in a separate, I'm in the grog studios, whether he heard, mm-hmm. uh, whether he was listening uh, to hear any secrets, or whether he cracked into my computer, we don't know that, uh, right. but we're assuming not. Uh, they got together before the event and kind of game planned a little bit. And I think that's the difference than you would have in a live tournament, where you know you typically just show up and right. here's your characters. And so I think that's the curious part is if they didn't do that, how far ahead would they have been? Because a lot of the teams had to figure out what they were doing right there when they started playing.
0: Yeah, I think that probably was a uh, an advantage. But uh, yeah, absolutely, well played. And I know they had more time to do that, but well played. So yeah, no, a yes. lot of fun. And and and. Uh, thank you James for uh you know setting that all up uh from the tech- technology aspect. So I'm really happy that we were able to continue the summer tournament and not have 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 a a blip there and, and and not have it. So that was great.
1: Yeah, so congratulations to Ed, Brian, Nico and Michael, the the winners. Their prizes have been collected and next time I venture out into the Plagueland, if I'm not uh uh being burned out of my house i'll be dropping their gifts off okay uh giveaway speaking of uh and again those anyone who's a patron of a certain tier will be getting uh this adventure so they can run it for themselves uh, and if you're a patron you can see the videos each three teams and what i'm hoping to do is uh splice individual uh, encounters for each team so you can kind of see what team one did and team two did and team three So, uh, and see what we were thinking of, have the notes up there. So, you know, part of this is to help people see how first edition is run uh, and what not to do (laughs) based on what we do. Um, Okay. So, speaking of also giveaways, uh, we're going to start giving stuff away starting uh, next month. So, if you are a patron by the end of this month, you'll be eligible for the prize. So, the first uh, time in September we get together... We'll be giving away something from the vast collection of uh stuff that we have. And uh it'll probably be something from the Vic Dorso collection. Uh, <laughs> but I see but I
0: see uh I, I just see I'm sorry. I just had catalog came into my mind. The Vic Dorso collection. <laughs> a little catalog comes in.
1: Well, <laughs> I was thinking more of an art gallery. You Who are you?
0: That's right. I, I was, I was thinking, thinking more of some...
1: the of Vic Dorso collection.
0: Okay, I was thinking, yeah, there's something that's just kind of arrives with, like, the Land's End catalog and, you know, oh, okay. the that's holidays.
1: Right. Yeah, Vic sitting in his chair, right, with his... <laughs> the, demon the, <laughs> the demon idol or whatever. The demon idol. Yes. <laughs> Nothing says Christmas like a demon idol. Yes. But uh, I also see uh, uh, the immolator is out there, Carlos Slicing, and um, now that he's doing things, we need to, we, I, I want to get some castle entertainment modules to give away too so i need to get do that offline i want to procure some uh a patron funding and we'll use that as giveaways too so remind me of that uh so if you're a patron at the end of august you have a chance uh to win a prize which we'll give away live on the show so again we do all that thanks for our patrons really appreciate what they're doing um because if it didn't we would basically just be sit jibber jabbering uh on uh an iPhone, yeah. cuddled together.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about it. I think we fundamentally misconceive the relationship with our patrons because we always talk about how it's the grog empire and we're in charge, do what we say, kind of business. Yeah. And I think you know the idea, of patron, they support you. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think I fundamentally misconceived this. I think we we, we need to think about well, that, how
1: we. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, that's. Uh, watched the video about this thing, and now we're really side segueing this idea where does executive power come from where does <laughs> uh you know where does rulership you know you know Got clearly well that right well, that would be divine right um which we're we're ascribed to because it Correct. makes it easier as opposed to the govern, and <laughs> right. um you know really the the and it's the same thing with the dm does the you know we you look at the books and especially old school this was idea the dm was uh, at least in the game, omnipotent. But really, the only power he or she has is if the pl- players show up. If no one shows up, they don't have a game, and they're not a DM. So it's it is somewhat symbiotic. But uh, that's that's my way to get more money, as opposed to your direct way, which is basically that more of the S- Sid Vicious are you enter- are you feel like you're being cheated kind of thing that you're trying to do now. So thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Um, but you're on vacation. You're you're, you're late. This is laid back, Dan. You, I can already sense your yeah. relax a little bit. Short sleeves. Yeah, that's good. Thank that's you. That's good. I like it. Yeah, um, I
0: good. have short sleeve Ralph Lauren, too.
1: Yeah. That's right. He has all... all... <laughs> Speaking of a collection. <laughs> they <have laughs> exactly. demon idols. I have polo shirts. <laughs> exactly. And they still haven't paid us a nickel, those cheap jerks. Yeah. Um, all right. Going to the next thing... Uh, You have not, since you've been on vacation, you haven't been on Discord lately, or at all. I'm just going to be charitable and say lately. Um, But uh, you may or not be aware that after Vic's uh, provocative uh, gland grab statement, um, this has caused the Discord to, we've set up for patrons the Grog Empire channel. So, they can discuss land issues and other things related to the empire. Well, now this has devolved into all kinds of shenanigans about how we're going to adjudicate when two uh, members of the empire have a land dispute. And so, because we, we have two claims already. Uh, formal letters of declaration, which you, I'm going to need to send you if you don't go out to Discord, because you are the legal side of this uh, side. I want to make sure these are valid uh, declarations of annexation, um, <laughs> and 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 we want to discuss how we're going to adjudicate these things. And so, Josh, uh, our our friend from Indiana, the enslaver of Indiana, has. Put out some rules for me to look at, so I'm going to send them to you. And I think by next week we really should kind of define this so that um, we can these folks can adjudicate this. And if you want to be part of this nonsense, uh, feel free to go out to a Discord at the Grog Empire if you're a patron.
0: You I'm going to any level. I'm going to be in favor. Hey, everyone, grab a
1: D20, roll. <laughs> Just roll straight D20. There may be some modifiers. Well, we've got some ideas about, you know, going down the diplomacy route where you actually play the game of diplomacy to figure this out. <laughs> you actually have the battle system because that's yes. first edition. Yes. Um, I, there's rules in mass combat for rule cyclopedia.
0: I like so, your idea, which was I think that you get a champion and it would be a, a monster. I don't know if we would do it randomly because, you know, everyone's going to pick, you know, hey, um, you know, whatever, the ancient red dragon. But I think that you know I like this idea of, of combat with a champion.
2: You know, right.
0: I think that we, you know, I, I think you know Vic, we would have an angry dwarf character. You
1: know, yeah, so. almost give them like either gold pieces to spend. That's, oh. I like the, ch- Oh, yeah, you basically get oh you know, 10, twenty thousand gold and thirty thousand experience points or something like that.
0: All you make your good. character. This is good. And you could buy magic items based upon the gold piece value. Right. Right. So this is that's good. That's brilliant, James. And the more money they give us
1: through patron, they could get more. But that's
0: that's. Oh, your patron level dictates how much money you get in this game. Yeah. See, I love what you think. And what's great about it too is you just announce it right on the air, as opposed to waiting to off the air and then, you know, talking about. It. You're, you're, I think people appreciate our, our forwardness. That's, that's right. right. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's
1: right. In fact, I have to create a new tier. We should oh, just there. sell. We should just sell gold pieces. Right. So that's well. Hey, Straight World up. of Warcraft. World of what's right? <laughs> you get. Oh, he wants gold pieces. That'll be. Uh, that's World of Warcraft. I mean, there's so yeah. many games. Micro. Now we've become a micro microtrans- Transaction company. Yes,
0: you can buy extra. So yeah, okay, everyone's gonna start out with a certain amount of gold pieces to spend. And then if you're if you're your tier level, you can get your patron level, you get extra. Then everybody who even if you're not a patron, you can purchase extra. It, of course to be a one for one conversion, a dollar per gold piece.
1: Wow, okay. And you <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, you may really want, you know, whatever it is, Excalibur or something. I don't know. You know, and, uh, yeah, I like it.
1: Okay. So, yeah, that's right. 1E Loot Crates. That's exactly what would happen. Um, Well, I think we'll come up with the options. I know Josh has an option where he's more of a uh, war-based. I thought about diplomacy or the champion. We'll put it up on Twitter, and uh, we'll we'll do a poll within the the Discord, and people can pick what it is. But clearly, we're we're in favor of more money for the Empire, which Mm -hmm. is... uh, Oh, that's, yeah, you know, and that's really, the, the other question is who's going to adjudicate this? Because, you know, do you want to DM these fights yes. with these people? Oh, you do? Okay. Because what I envision is, yes, it would
0: be a, a grog special. Yeah. You know, like one of these wrestling specials.
1: Yeah, every, every quarter. Because we, we don't want to do this all the time. Oh, it's got to be every, once a quarter. Like every season, like they used to do in the old days. Every season, the, the battles would happen, right? You didn't fight all the time. No, there not during be, winter. It's cold. Right. Right. So maybe twice a year people would come, they couldn't they couldn't figure it out, we'd have the combat and it would be adjudicated.
0: Is the loser then subservient to the winner? It says can so like if Vic defeats somebody, can you order
1: that person around? Well it's a they're, they're well so far the annexations have not been to take over people. It's been a specific area. I got you, you know, like a border dispute. Right. I'm I'm not ready to have vassals yet unless um, the only time there should be a vassal is if we should reward people to be who are part of the Grog Empire earlier. So, you know, for instance, um, you know, like if, if someone took uh, now St. Paul, Minnesota, well, they would be under the purview of the Scourge because he is control of Minnesota.
0: Oh, and you know, if we give out titles based upon tier levels, like you're a Duke
1: or an Earl, or, you know. We we, we we haven't done that. That's changing the dice. Then that's uh, I understand the role. All right, but, but but the tier roll we could maybe give them. They could switch out one of their titles for another. Yeah, we like, got. We've really been missing a lot of opportunities to make. Yeah, there's been a lot of money we're leaving on the table here, okay. which shows we have no idea what we're doing. Right. So, tune in next time. There'll be we will have the options. And again, thank you, Josh. Who's and Brian? Uh, Josh is the one who set up the Discord and is running it. And um, uh, and then Brian for DMing as well. Uh, I think Ed's gonna start DMing, not our Ed, uh, Ed who played with Brian. Uh, and you all can play uh, with them on Grognard's Guild online. Okay, so I, I wanna introduce, uh, that's right, uh, Jason Elliott. For those who don't know Jason, the way we know him, because um, he's highly recommended by a couple of folks, people we uh, we respect very much. You know, first, uh, Leroy, who is on Twitter, who is one of the old school gamers, said, hey, you got to get Jason on. He's a wealth of knowledge. And hey, Leroy. Um, no. Uh, and it's his birthday today, so happy birthday, Leroy. Happy birthday, Hope Leroy. Well. And, um, and then we were speaking to Al Hammock a few months ago, right? And we started talking about his history. And then he mentioned Top Secret, and he was working with Jason. I said, well, we got to get you on. So, Jason Elliott, welcome to Grog Talk. Thank you. Welcome to and, me. <laughs> exactly, and um, so for those who don't know you, maybe you can give a quick introduction of well, first how you got into the hobby and uh, kind of your you know some of the the highlights of what you uh, worked on both in the past and what you're doing now.
2: All right, cool. Um, so you know, probably got into the hobby the way most people. Uh, my age did anyway, which was, you know, go down to Walden Books and pick up some copies of these things with the cool artwork all over them and then bring them home to your friends and then get all the rules wrong.
0: Can, so. <laughs> can, 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 can we ask what year roughly this would be?
2: Uh, let's see. 1837, I think. <laughs> um, this kid named H.G. Wells was saying he wanted to play with soldiers um, and. <laughs> Well, let's let's put it this way. So the first two things that I remember getting were a copy of the Red Box and a copy of the Dungeon Master's Guide. And I didn't know they were not the same game. So we tried to put the two together and uh, figure out why the rules didn't exactly match up <laughs> one to the other. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think then the next thing I bought after that was a copy of Top Secret, and uh, again, not really understanding that it was supposed to be different games. I'm like, oh, cool! You can be a, 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 <laughs> a paladin who is a spy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a fun game. Yeah,
2: yeah, had, had, um, yeah.
0: And, and and what sent you? Had you just seen it on Walden Books, So did you have somebody that introduced you to the game, or did you just no, discover I'm, it sort of on yourself?
2: I'm pretty sure, actually, that a friend of mine, maybe like his big brother, had it or something. Uh, You know, I I think probably what it was was, you know, somebody's big brother had it. You know, we wanted to play and and they wouldn't let us. And so, you know, we begged our parents, can we please get this game? It's not devil worship. Um, And luckily, even though I grew up in a a small town in Iowa, uh, it was not filled with people who thought that this was like, you know, evil or something. So they were like, yeah, the main argument, I think, to our parents was if we're playing this, we're not going to be out getting in trouble. (laughs)
1: <laughs> crack crack cocaine or dungeons and dragons Yeah, I uh, mean, well,
2: what do you want satanism or crack i could do both or i could just yeah, pick one right so they said yeah go with the satanism so did they, yeah yeah
0: did they view that as a threat kind of <laughs> 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 like if i was the parent i'd be like wait what exactly is going on here this...
2: well, what trouble are you planning to get into <laughs>
0: right exactly i'm gonna do this stuff unless you let me play
2: <laughs> well maybe they knew because i definitely was getting into trouble i mean i was definitely like in our school, we didn't have the exact same clicks as maybe bigger towns did, but I loved that TV show freaks and geeks later because they nailed it because basically our group of me and my friends, we were like the combination nerds and dirtbags, right? Like we were the ones that were into like heavy metal and old cars and also got straight A's and, you know, did really good at debate club. You know, in other words, did not date. <laughs> right,
0: and, and and did at some point in time. Then did D and D overtake your life? Because you said you were getting good grades. As often happens, D and D starts to take the place of homework for so many. I days.
2: I was really lucky that um, I personally was the kind of kid that was able to talk the teachers out of. Uh, you know, certain things I was supposed to do, I I would do really well in the tests and I'd do the extra credit so that they would kind of go, well, you know, maybe he was drawing a dungeon instead of doing his homework, but he's really good at the tests. So it's okay.
0: Okay. And, and, and at what point in time did you discover that these were in fact two different games (laughs) games
2: <laughs> I mean. yeah I, th- I think about the time that basically like probably my friend bobby's older brother came in and yelled at him, you can't have a gun
0: you can't shoot a, oh.
2: With a gun oh um,
0: yeah but i was just talking about basic versus ad day i was i was a, I I, was a t- I I assume you're being somewhat facetious with the top secret but apparently
2: not oh well i mean i i think after about three or four days we figured out they were actually different rule sets entirely. But yeah, I think the AD&D versus the um Red Box was probably about two or three modules in, you know, cuz we we just thought we didn't understand it very well. And um what I loved about the Dungeon Master's Guide was that it was so I don't know how to say it now. And this is, I mean, this is—I mean, this in a good way. It was poorly organized, right? <laughs> it was—it was so dense and so difficult to get through that it felt like you accomplished something by figuring out some of it. And so, as we started getting to that, it was—it was like cracking open an ancient tome, right? And so you just—you unlock its secrets. And as we started unlocking its secrets and discovering, oh wait a minute, this is advanced. This is the other thing. And so we basically just switched over to advanced. Um, but we kept, you know, buying both kinds of modules and just making them work.
0: Yeah, and and do you remember your first, the first module you went through?
2: Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure it was Bone Hill. Oh, oh, uh, yeah, Venture James. Again, I don't think we understood um, levels either. <laughs> you know, at first, but but then once we, once I mean once it all settled down and we actually figured out what was going on, we started with the U series. Um, you know, Saltmarsh and all that. And to this day, anytime I'm starting a new AD&D campaign, I like to start it there because it's like going back to a comfortable old neighborhood, you know?
0: Indeed. Yeah. No, it, it, it's a classic. So
2: have you guys seen, I mean, have you used the uh, the updated Saltmarsh that Wizards did where the you know, the whole Secrets of Salt Marsh book they did for, five, uh, I think they did it for 5e, didn't they?
1: Yes, we we don't our 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 podcast and our lives end uh, was it May of nineteen eighty five?
0: Yeah, around When Unearthed Arcana came out, yeah, I don't do anything after Unearthed yeah. Arcana.
1: The the, the book well, that shall not be mentioned. It, book, we call it the book <laughs> that shall not be named. Oh, that's uh,
2: funny. Yeah, we we um, I mean, I really like I do really like the uh, the Ghost of Saltmarsh book that Wizards did because it gives you all this extra kind of. Uh, filling out that you would have done yourself back then. So it's kind of nice to have those little extra things in it. But um, yeah, no, I, when it comes to playing AD&D, we always start at the beginning of a new campaign, deciding, are we using anything from UA and if so, what? It's never the whole thing and it's often none of it.
0: Yeah. Right. There's certain fundamental questions you got to ask. It's usually players want to know about level limits. Right? Yeah. Uh, level Which they I wanted.
2: enforce. I do enforce.
0: I enforce too. So, so why do you enforce level limits? And, and okay. we're enforcers, right?
1: James, are you an enforcer? Yes. Well, you called me a textualist or whatever is the. Yeah. Uh, so, so, why, uh, why do you? Strict,
2: a strict constructionist DM. He,
1: he is. Oh, he
0: is. If it, yeah. So, if it says you can do X, that means everything else is you can't do. So, we just had this yeah. discussion about, uh, well, we won't, we won't bore you with it. But, yeah. So, why did you impose level limits?
2: I just think that the way that A D and D ultimately kinda of washes out, once you get all the different Dragon magazine articles and all the different thinking about it that goes back and forth, it ends up being a really tight, well designed system that as soon as you pull one st- string, the the sweater starts to unravel. So if you don't enforce the level limits, then you're not making sense to why so you have certain advantages at a lower level. You know?
0: It- it's, it's true, and so actually, you know, I talk big, but when I started uh, when I started playing again three yeah, years, exactly. about three years ago, and I needed to find people to play, and so they wanted to know, well, level limits, and I was trying to be a nice guy because I'm trying to build a group, and I said, no level limits. Well, when you don't do level limits, of course, you end up with a party full of, of demi-humans usually, yeah. cause they, and, and, and that's a little disappointing.
2: So, um, And I, I really feel like AD&D is meant to be played as a human character, uh, for maximum enjoyment, I think all those other things are really fun to uh, try out. Um, and, but if I'm playing a very long term campaign, if, as a player, I usually prefer to play a human just because, yeah, you don't get all these cool advantages. Um, but at the same time, you don't get all the kind of level limits and everything else in place of it. And I think it prevents you from turning into a mechanic as well.
0: Yeah, see, James is a textualist. It starts and ends with the book says it. He just holds yeah. up the book. And he's like, level limits, it's right here.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to do it. Um, but, I mean, even back then, <laughs> it was always fun to get a copy of Dragon Magazine and see somebody writing something that was not, you know, canon, but was a really interesting way to try things out. And it, it, that was kind of the fun. I usually compare AD&D, not later versions, but ad and D. I I compare it to Linux, You know, it's if you if you use it exactly the way that it's built, it's going to run great. Like if you stick, you know, Red Hat on your computer, it's and just as as the build goes, it's going to work great. But it also is open source and you can mess with it. You're probably going to break something when you do, but you could have fun breaking it.
0: Well, that's like, you know, Len, I, when you said you enjoyed reading Dragon Magazine for different takes on the game, I immediately thought of Len Lakofka because Len's articles seemed to consistently. I'm not even sure Len was
2: playing first edition, you know, if he was actually
0: doing all the things, <laughs> all the changes. He seemed to be continuously like, yeah, well, Gary should have done it this way, you know? Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, the, Lehman's Tiny Hut was one of my favorite things about Dragon Magazine. And that's why when we started Gygax Magazine, we immediately, you know, said we have to get Len back. You know, so we had, so that's why we had him writing. He changed it to Liaman's secure shelter because it had gotten bigger. Uh, but, but it was. I, I was so thrilled. Fortified domicile,
1: exactly. Yeah. That's that's great.
2: Yeah, um, it was, and, it was a really big deal to me.
1: So yeah, you start. You started with D D. You played Top Secret. You played. Uh, did you play other games back in your early days that were formative?
2: You know, I'm not as cool if that's the word, as people who you know can look back and say like, oh, I played these 15 different games and I had Tunnels and Trolls and I had Twilight 2000 and I had blah, blah, blah. And it's like we, we were living in western Iowa. It was hard to get any of these things. I guess by mail would have worked. But honestly, we were pretty much just playing Top Secret and D&D uh, at the time. I, I think I did not go to my first gaming convention until I was – like in high school, like later in high school and actually got to see other games being played. And I got to play some and I was excited about it. And that kind of opened me up to things. But at the beginning it was, you know, fairly just the one uh, company, just TSR stuff.
0: And did you play stick with down. first edition, so in first, second edition, can, did you continue to play role-playing games? So it's, it's a lot of us, like myself and James, we had what you know the, the folks on the Grognard Files call this deep freeze, and yeah. we were out of it for decades. Did you continue to play?
2: Uh, when second edition came out, I thought it was gross, and I didn't want to play it. Um, I just thought, that, you know, okay, this is silly, but I thought it, that the books were ugly. You know, I I didn't before I even opened them up, I just thought the, the the artwork was bad. The design was bad. You know, I was an aspiring designer at the time in high school. And, you know, I was all about aesthetics and I was like, these are ugly. And then I actually read one. and I'm like, and they're bad. You know, it's like, what's what's the point of this? Um, going back later, I actually had a totally newfound appreciation for second edition. And now when I look at it, I'm like, this is actually a really good game and I probably should have played it. Um, but no, I kind of went on the deep freeze also, except that we did keep playing. We just kept playing first edition. So, uh, I was playing it in college. I had a break when I started, uh, getting more into the music scene. I started a music magazine and it basically took up all of my time. But uh, I did get back into gaming about 2005. So I had probably a break of about 10 years from like 95 to 2005. Um, okay. I, I, the way I look at it is basically when I stopped subscribing to Dragon Magazine, that's when I s- sort of froze in terms of rules. And that was around 88.
1: Yeah, that's about me too. It's about us. Yeah, yeah. 88, 89, something like that. And then, um, but we didn't play. For for decades after that, but you know, um, but the, you kept playing for a while, and then you took it ten because you know, obviously. And and Carlos Lysing says hi as well. Um, hey, Carlos. Yeah, he was on earlier. You know, he's I think he's a night owl, right, Dan? Pretty much. He's he he's unusual hours. Yeah. No, yeah, you know so... the weird
2: thing is, I've actually had people talk tell me like my old roommate was like, "Yeah, remember that campaign we were playing in from like '94 to '97?" And I'm like, "What? I don't." <laughs> But, <laughs> right. I mean, like I said, you know, in, in the 90s, I was more kind of in the music scene. Uh, I, I will admit that there's probably a drug haze that's erased a few years of my life.
1: it's funny. You should mention that In the chat, they're talking about, you know, uh, cornfields and, and drug use and d d It's like a yeah. drunken dragons kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well,
2: if anybody is uh, into... Like punk, industrial, goth, any of that. So, uh, my friend and I started a magazine called Industrial Nation, and then we started another one called Permission, which is more goth. So, if anybody knows Industrial Nation or Permission, that's me too. Um wow, so if awesome! There's, if there's any old rivet heads or goths or punks out there, I hello. was.
0: So, I was more like the Minor Threat, Seven Seconds, you know, kind of. The crossover, the DRA, that stuff, you know, went. Yeah, through, yeah, through yeah, through yeah. hardcore. Yeah, 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 exactly. So
2: I I was not so much into like the DC kind of scene musically, but I really appreciated it. So and I, 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 I had a ton of friends who were you know into that scene. So it was a good scene. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Okay, so you um you you stuck with First Edition. Yeah. Um and then you know uh, so this is interesting. So I told James, or actually James already. So we we thought we had a great idea. Cool. We would have a podcast. And we would focus on first edition AD&D. You should do that. That would be, is it, wouldn't that be a great idea? I would listen, I would listen right. to
2: that. And
0: little did we know, of course, at the time, because remember, we're coming out of a deep freeze, right. that there, of
1: course, had been a podcast called Roll for Initiative. What,
2: what, what were you going to call yours?
1: Um, Cast for starting. Uh, you know, sounds like cast. First. Yeah, but actually, we're going to call it Grog Talk. But, you know, I started looking around Wait, for podcasts. you were going to call it Grog Talk back in, like, Whatever year? You oh, already no, no, no. This just that? a few years ago. No, just a few years. We started. We started a couple of years ago. Okay.
2: We oh, didn't okay. know I each thought, other. Okay.
1: So, yeah, I apologize, Jason. So our background is Dan was in the deep freeze for twenty-something years. Here, him and his. Actually, Dan, why don't you tell your story? Why am I telling you? we're not married. Go ahead, tell your story. <laughs>
0: Well, that's yeah. That's the story. I was in a deep freeze for thirty years. I don't know why. I was sitting around with my friend Ed, and I exactly, exactly. carbonite exactly. And and uh, for some reason, I said, you know, wow, you know, maybe we should play D and D again. What's going on with that? And I had no idea. <laughs> I literally assumed like nobody plays first edition. Right. And I had no idea that there was this, this old school renaissance going on. I mean, I was very much why there was an old school renaissance going on, because I think people were coming out of their deep freeze, not realizing there was OSR going, boy, you know, it'd be kind of fun for nostalgia is to play D&D again. But, you know, I don't want to learn all this new stuff. I want to play what I was played when I was young. Does yeah. anyone play first edition? And, and then I learned that there was Gary Khan. Oh, and, yeah. Right, and so we yeah. went to GaryCon, and so that was about three years ago. We got into it, and so and you jam-
2: came to GaryCon when it was at the uh, Playboy Club, the bigger, uh, the resort. Exactly the first yeah. one, yeah. So I've
0: been to like I think three of them, yeah. It was like already at Grand Geneva, so it was already a pretty big
2: convention compared to what it had been. Well, I mean, the Grand Geneva version of it is. Um, objectively better in the sense that it's way more stuff going on it's really really well run i mean luke and the crew are super tight in how well they do it uh but you know the older version at the smaller hotel was more uh intimate and more just like it was like summer camp with your pals you know but but the new one i think you're getting a really really good version of, of the gary Con now
0: yeah, no, it's it's a wonderful convention. Um, so, when did you when did you decide to get uh, what what prompted you to get back into gaming and when and how soon thereafter did you uh, do the podcast role for Nisha?
2: So, I was sitting on the L train in New York, uh, coming back from Brooklyn. And I ran into an old friend of mine who I hadn't seen since San Francisco. It had been like about a decade since we'd run into each other. We started talking, and he said, "You know, I'm playing D and D again." And I'm like, "Cool, let's let's play." I mean, I haven't talked to you for a decade. This is a great Wait. way to get back together. You met on the train? L-
0: you're on the you're on the subway, and you run. Yeah, into he him just walked on
2: the he just walked on the train. He happened to be getting on the same train wow. as me. That was
0: just there's only what six million people or something, and
2: yeah, yeah, right.
0: Right. Um,
2: uh, But I got to tell you, Manhattan, New York is a small town. It is a small town. Uh, You run into everybody. So, you know, so he's like, yeah, we're getting a game going. So they were playing fourth edition uh, because that's what was out at the time. And I'm like, fine, whatever. I don't care. You know, I'll learn the new edition. And I was being I got to say, I was being a jerk. I was being so annoying. I was being that guy who's like, this isn't how we did it back in the day. This is a different. Uh, and you know, I'm sure that everybody was so sick of me um, in the game, constantly comparing fourth edition to first edition, and so I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to first edition. I'm going to keep playing because these are good friends. I like these people. I'm having a good time with them. But I need to like get the taste out of my mouth at the end of the day. I didn't have anybody to play with. I just wanted to get back into it in some way, right? So, I found Dragon's Foot, which is, you know, the first edition uh, website. Still one of the best gaming websites I think that's ever been made. I mean, just in terms of what a vibrant community, right? And uh, I threw something after I'd been on there a little bit. I I decided I wanted to do a podcast because I've done podcasts since about 2006. Again, it was more music stuff. But I was just like, hey, you know, I really want to do a first edition podcast. I've been getting the books back open. I want to do one where we kind of relearn it together. And another guy on the forum's had basically posted the exact same thing the exact same week. I mean, basically within days of each other, we had both said, I'd really like to do a first edition podcast. So we called each other up. Um, I was was driving down the uh, 95 and I pulled over to have a conversation with him in a rest stop. And it was like three hours after we got on the phone, we're Mm -hmm. still talking. And we realized, okay, we got compatible ideas here. Let's start a show. He, he wanted to call it role for initiative. I'm like, that's great. That's a name. Let's use a name. And you know, that was it. We just started kind of getting together and doing it. I put some structure around it because he wanted it to be a little bit more of a, just let's have a chat. And I wanted to have a little bit more structure. So I think that helped having the, uh, the dichotomy of the
1: two. Yeah. We wouldn't know anything about that. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's, we're, that's, we're, we're,
0: well, we're, we're completely unstructured, pretty much. Yeah. So.
1: Well, we try well, I I mean, try to have structure, but that's just not going to work out with us. Yeah. We just can't.
2: like I out. say, I, I've been I've been podcasting since 2006. I'm still actually doing it, um, not in gaming, but I, I do in some independent production for uh, iHeartMedia now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I'm very much I, I really like that side of things, you know, even though I like listening to all kinds of shows. So, yeah, I wanted to have a little structure to it. And yeah, and it turned out to be a good idea. Uh, I think it worked out pretty well.
0: Yeah, clearly. And and, and so how did the show evolve over time? Because I know it lasted a very long time.
2: Uh, yeah. And I, is it still going on? I actually don't it, know. It no. ended
1: last year. Okay. Okay. Officially ended. Now it okay. will come. Um, yeah. I mean, I
2: think when I was on, I was probably only on for the first hundred shows or something, like the first two years, three years. Right. And uh, I, I, I don't know what. How did it evolve? It basically we tried to improve it regularly by um, making better uh, segments and kind of figuring out what we would talk about each time, and uh, making sure that we would do our research ahead of time. I was always kind of a stickler for if we're going to have a topic, we need to sit down and make sure we know what we're talking about because people are listening. Who are going to be huge nerds about the rules and we get a rule wrong we're never going to hear the end of it so let's get this let's get this tight um and i was sometimes joined in that by the other hosts and sometimes they would just be like oh man are we doing a show what's (laughs) you know a little bit of both a little bit of
1: both so yeah. we had a couple of things on the chat do you uh, do you talk to Vince at all anymore? have you talked to him?
2: I haven't talked to Vince for a while The last time I ran into him was at Gen Con uh, at the uh, um, plaza uh, you know we chat on Facebook sometimes but I haven't really talked to him lately no
0: okay I- Oh, go ahead, James. We yeah, got a question from the chat.
1: And another one from the chat. Uh, Jonathan wants to know, why do you look so different from your bio picture at Gygax Magazine?
2: I I don't know. Was I fat in that
1: picture? Because yes. I was
2: pretty fat. I was a big fat, fat dude.
1: Oh. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I, I mean, it, it doesn't look that much uh, different. Your hair's a little bit longer, but not uh, at uh, least. Yeah, from- I, got,
2: I, I got the quarantine hair, grown it long, but I... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I honestly, if you look at me over the years, I look different every year. It's just fun to change it up. Yeah, that's always
1: a dangerous question because you could be like, "Yeah, I had cancer," or um, nah,
2: "Yeah, I, well, you know." Honestly, though, I, I really. Um, <laughs> did I, I think I was starting to get to the point where I was almost, you know, wearing a gamer medium t-shirt you know <laughs> triple xl uh yes. but but yeah no i I, <laughs> I did realize a couple of years ago that i had sort of started getting sedentary so i just decided to like you know start working out and you know uh stuff like that and uh yeah
0: are there is there a particular episode that you're really fond of that if we were gonna say okay what, what would yeah. be a good episode to listen to
2: yeah, I got to tell you, I have a favorite episode, and that's the one that we did about unarmed combat. Oh. No, I have two favorite episodes. <laughs> oh, God. Um, my 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 personal favorite, just because it's got one of my favorite people on it, was we did an interview with Dan Carlin. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He does Hardcore History. Mm. And uh, no. uh, he has another show called... Um, Wow, I forgot what his other show was called. But anyway, uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History is, I think, one of the best podcasts out there. It's been number one on Apple iTunes for like a decade, right? Wow. Um, And so I just figured from listening to his show, he sounded like he was into wargaming and D&D, you know, a little bit. So I reached out to him and I said, this is kind of weird. It's not your usual thing, but would you like to come on to a gaming show? And he's like, yeah, that sounds cool. And uh, that was so much fun. Uh, getting to like hang out and talk with Dan Carlin, but if you're just talking from what I think other people would like the most, if they're not Dan Carlin fans already, or at least the one I dig the most, it's the one about unarmed combat uh, because you talked before about being a textualist and playing it as as run. So let me ask you: Do you use the unarmed <laughs> combat rules in the DMT as
1: written? We try. We try, we try to, we first try to avoid it at all costs. Um, We try to dissuade the characters from doing that. Are
0: you sure, are you sure you want to grapple?
1: First, first we say, don't you want to subdue first? Don't you just, why don't you just use the flat blade of the pommel first? Or, no, 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 I want to try to. tackle the guy you sure you sure you want to do this then uh then i try to open the book that shall not be named then i realize i have to live with my self-imposed rule and then i'm rolling percentages and trying to figure it out and um everyone rolls their eyes because it depends who asks if it's a first edition person who knows how byzantine the rules are they don't ask it's the new player who comes in because we have an open table Well, right? we ha- and we let people come and they go i want to grab that guy and everyone's looks <laughs> that yeah. look of horror. oh no they ask to grab him and uh yeah, they, so they, we the try
0: consider- the considerate player does not try to grapple <laughs> right or overbear
2: or, or well, That's i'm right. going to i'm going to change your lives oh okay <laughs> Go and find, I don't have it at hand which one it is, but if you can find the episode where we talked about unarmed combat, grappling tables, uh, we actually did an example of it and showed that it is actually easy, fast, and fun as written in the DMG. It is possible to do it that way.
1: Um, We have have a friend of ours who's a frequent chatter from australia he, he, are you guys We're, hearing that noise in the background yeah that's <laughs> me
0: i'm gonna this is the danger of doing a podcast outside
2: hang on i'm going to mute myself for a second oh okay must be the gardener there to garden him yeah go ahead De- uh, go ahead jason oh well anyway so here's the here's the secret is that if you sit down and take the time to write out all the little stuff on your character sheet as it asks you to do so you have your percentages and everything ready ahead of time. And if you just kind of take a minute to unpack the rules from the dense Gygaxian prose and just spell out what they are, it turns out the actual rules are really swift and really fast. You just have to have everything prepped ahead of time. And here's the good part, is that if you use, like, the later UA rules or anything from Dragon Magazine, that's fine. But if you use the DMG rules, all these unexpected things happen. Like, you get your your opponent in some crazy headlock you weren't expecting to, you flip them in a way you weren't expecting, and just this very much more action movie kind of realism comes out of it, and it becomes a ton of fun. So that's my challenge to you, is to... Try it out by kind of prepping it ahead of time the way that we described in that episode of the podcast, and let me know if it's not more fun.
1: I don't disagree with anything you s- said there. I think what we've found, because, again, you look at the tables. It's amazing. You know, you get eye gouges and all this flavor yeah. that oh. that's in there. I think the groups I've played with, again, I can't speak for other people, they'll roll, they'll go, I got a 14. Do I hit? Did you hit last time with a 14? Yes. Mm. (laughs) Okay. Well, or I got a seven. Is that a a modified seven? Well, let's see. I I rolled a four, and I got plus two. Some of the folks, like you said about your co-hosts who don't sometimes prep, we have some players. They take their character, they put it away, and then the next week they pull it out. They don't spend any time doing that so i think with the right group of players it absolutely could be done um well
2: now i i don't want to malign vince and and, and the rest of the crew i'm not saying that they were never no, not me. all the time <laughs> they're, but they're good, they're right. good co-hosts they're right good no co-hosts.
1: no and I, did, I didn't take it that way but some of the folks um they just want to show up and roll dice and they don't yeah. they don't want to do and they like the conversation they want to banter and they're you know it's same thing with weapon proficient uh uh armor class adjustments we try to use that and, you know, then it just felt it was more burden on the DM to figure this out because the players, they either didn't get it or they didn't do it. I would love yeah, to do it.
2: I, I, I'm really lucky because the, my regular weekly game that I play, I've got people who really know the rules and I've got one guy who knows them way better than me. Uh, I'm DMing, but he knows the rules better. So it's wonderful. I can just be like, you know, hold on, Kevin. What, did I do that right? You know, and yeah.
0: and, and I, Go ahead, Dan. I was going to ask. So, do you use the uh, weapon adjustment based on AC? Because absolutely. You know, okay, and and, and what's because it what's, makes
2: sense. It's there's a reason for it.
0: And so, do you find that play are players then selecting a weapon specifically for the type of combat they're expecting? I mean, how is it? Yeah. Does it affect the way they play? Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you know that you're going to be going up against uh what you're likely to be doing is coming up against some armored opponents you're more likely to get a bashing weapon out than a than a stabbing weapon
0: are there any rules that you don't use probably uh, but okay. not, inten-
2: not intentionally
0: not intentionally uh, what about um uh, is a party initiative party initiative guy
2: oh boy there's a, that's another episode of Rule for initiative you can check <laughs> out i am i am so You've just you've just hit one of my like favorite things to talk about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we like this, too.
2: Yeah, this is the- <laughs> uh, So the way 90% of people do initiative makes me crazy. It just makes me crazy because I don't like the idea of I go, you go, I go, you go, I go, you go. And it feels like you're playing a roll and move board game, right? Um, the way that it's written makes a ton of sense, which is that you're supposed to um, declare your actions Before the round, and then you resolve everything in the order that it's supposed to happen. And if you do it that way, it makes everything feel, again, much more like you're watching an action movie. You know, everybody's like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do during this round. And then the DM goes, okay, I can see the segments in which they occur. um, And I actually sometimes use a little uh, segment whiteboard that I've made so that I can say, this spell goes off at segment six, this person's gonna do this at segment eight. Um, But if you do it that way, I just think it's way more exciting. And it deals with one of the other problems I have at most gaming tables, which is everybody trying to kind of either talk at once or, again, kind of feeling like they're waiting for their turn. Whereas with this, everybody has a quick chance to go around the table and say, this is what I'm going to do. And then they don't feel like they're, they're waiting to get to get waiting to get to play.
0: Do you and, – and sorry, maybe a bit of a dragon's foot discussion will break out here. But, but do, you, just, do you – because we, we just – do you – it's great because we were having a discussion online about this. Do you believe that no one – if your party has lost initiative, that really mm-hmm. no one gets to do anything until the segment of your initiative? So we had questions about, well, what if I want to go around the back and back stuff? Can I start moving around the back? Before on the very first segment, or does basically are you sort of in suspension as a party until it's your initiative segment, including the spellcasting issue came up too? Does the spellcasting start on the initiative of the party, or does it start sooner?
2: Right. So um, that's one where I think you kind of have a little, you, you have that eternal argument of the abstraction of the round. Right, because you know the round is a minute long. So how can I only get to do one stab? And then you read the DMG, and it says, "Well, it's an abstraction of all these things that are happening." So I think that's where you can take a little bit of personal uh, initiative <laughs> 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 to, to decide how you want to approach that. The way I like to approach it is, I just kind of remember this is all happening in a minute. If somebody loses initiative, it just means they're effective action maybe happens a little later. doesn't mean they're standing there frozen in time. It just means that maybe they didn't quite get their effective action in as quickly as the other person. So uh, a spell casting, yeah, I will use that because there are rules uh, that say that if you have a spell that takes three segments to do and you've lost two segments of initiative, I'm going to include that in the spell casting time. Uh, But that's also because I like to enforce the idea if you're playing first edition, and you know, later editions do it differently. That's fine. I don't. That's fine. But if you're playing first edition, the spellcaster should be standing back out of the fray and worried that they're going to be distracted. You know, so if they even get whacked with a stick, they're like, "Great, that was my spell for the day." You jerk. Why did you? Why did you kick me? Yeah, I like
0: that. Do, do you do any sort of fumbles or critical hits?
2: Right now, no. In the game that we're in, the in the campaign I'm in right now, we kind of all agreed at the beginning of the campaign we wanted to play exactly rules as written. So we're playing published modules right now, only published TSR, but we're probably going to include. I have a AIDS module I really want to do. So
0: which which one? Oh, we had we one? had Bill Fawcett We had Bill Foster on the show not
1: long ago. Oh, dang! How was that? It was great. He's wonderful. We actually ran a game with him. Ran. We ran him through yeah uh, really yeah, James we ran Aurelian with him and his wife Jody lena and Mercedes oh, Mackey and Larry my he is my
2: hero oh she's great she's she awesome is, I mean I am such a huge robert aspirin fan right I mean I'm both both the thieves world and the and the um myth adventures although not I don't really know the fools stuff but you know she has been such an amazing uh caretaker of his legacy and okay, she very- amazing author in her own right just unbelievable I, i'm sorry i'm in fanboy heaven right now that you're mentioning her name
0: okay you ready for this you may know this but we did she typed the manuscripts for the, the monster manual that oh, you did know that because no,
2: no, that no 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 no, no, no. you I, i'm nodding as oh, if I, knew. I did not yeah. know what she typed so here's the story she, she, we're interviewing bill jody. fawcett go
1: ahead go ahead dan
0: start well, with the jody the i was who was she dating she was dating somebody at TSR. Brian she's dating Brian Bloom and so she gets the job to type the player's handbook, the monster manual, and the DMG. She typed the manuscripts. And that's why we had her on the show. <laughs> Not because of all the other stuff.
2: <laughs> how in the world is this all true? And TSR never just bought the rights to Thieves World and did their own version of it. Why?
1: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, we were talking to Bill Foss about Rolys and everything else. and It's like, yeah, it was, you know, and, and how he met Jody and uh, the first time, and and then she typed to trans the, the the original core books, the Holy Trinity. We're like, wait a minute, what did you say, Bill? Like, <laughs> oh. we don't care. We don't care about role anymore. We want to talk to her. You know, the fact that you know, literally from from the mountain, she's got the the manuscript. So anyway, see, I'm so
2: confused because you know, so the, right, so you know, the thieves' world, right? The yeah, right. yeah, and yeah. I'm like, well, wait, a that's Chaosium. Why is this and, not Mayfair? Why is this not TSR? I mean, no, it's great. Who cares? Chaosium did an amazing job. Yeah. But, there's a story
0: there, obviously, but Bill didn't. Bill knew somebody at Chaosium or something like that. I want to say yeah. I, I can't remember. We yeah. talked about it. I'm sorry, Jason. Huh? I don't remember. So well, I just I quite,
1: go ahead. Just wait, real what, quick segue. Go ahead, Dan. Well, I just want.
0: What's the Aids module you want to run?
2: Oh, uh, uh, the Clockwork Mage. Oh, I don't know that one. Know okay. That. Oh,
0: it is so. Oh cool. wait. Wait, the Clockwork Mage. No, I don't know.
2: Two <laughs> high-level wizards get into a practical joke prank war with each other, and you're trapped in the middle of it.
0: Oh, very interesting. Okay. Okay. I'm, it's so,
2: it's so yeah. cool. Because we had yeah. Bill
0: Foster on, because I'm familiar with like Beastmaker Mountain, mm-hmm. and um, I think a sequel. And so, but okay. Yeah, that's great.
2: Yeah, the Clockwork Mage is a really cool uh, Aids adventure. Uh, but... You were asking about something, oh, do we play it as written? So, yeah, so we're we're doing the thing completely rules as written at this point. But um, there was, you know, obviously in all the different magazines, whether you're looking at um, Dragon Magazine or, you know, some of the fanzines like Alarms and Excursions or whatever, there's a lot of people that did different critical hit and fumble tables uh, I forget which one is my favorite, but there is one that was in Dragon Magazine that I love, and it just makes the game fun, even though it's not rules as written, so I would like to bring it back, but right now we're playing rules as written, which means no natural D20, just means good job, you.
0: Yeah, is it was it good hits and bad misses? That's the one that we used to use back in the... Yeah.
2: That's the one. That's we just the one.
0: talked about that last episode. We were James right? wasn't in love with it because it, it was the extra die roll that you have Uh, to make each time, right? You have to do the percentage, right? If you needed it, right. And so you'd have to do the extra die. But I did love it. It does make it.
1: I'm not uh, a fan of criticals and fumbles as a player because monsters roll more often and a fumble for them is annoying, but a critical on you is bad. So I'd I'd rather the 20 go, yay, D20. But people love it. They want to roll a 20 and do extra damage. I get it.
2: You know, the podcast I would love to hear if anybody wants to do it, I I promise to subscribe and I'll put money in your Patreon. I would love it if somebody just started going back through every dragon magazine, starting with number one and just just read them. Just like go through, talk about each issue. You got enough material there to keep your podcast going for years.
0: All right, James, you want you want to disclose what we're doing well
1: we've been similar, doing this something co- similar we didn't go back to what we today this is 1980 for us we actually started because 40, 40 years, years ago so we started at yeah. the beginning of the year we've re- been reviewing each dragon and each white dwarf and we just put it up on the screen and we review it we talk it over so we, we're That's doing crazy. a similar
2: thing so uh, wait we'll, is it out can i go listen to it yeah, yeah this, this, mor-
0: this morning this morning we this did this morning, white dwarf. morning we did white dwarfs the august and september of white Mm -hmm. dwarf i mean you know from 1980 i mean we will tell Mm -hmm. you that we tend to skim it i mean they're long and and we're first yeah yeah you gotta
2: pick out you gotta pick out your favorite stuff you can't
1: go to every single part of it
0: yeah so we we skip over stuff that is in first edition as well but we we started started january
1: 1980 we did what is it uh episode uh issue 32 31 something like that and worked our way through. I mean, obviously the, the errata was in there from uh, 35. So we, mm-hmm. we basically bring it up and we go over it and we discuss it with people because we are like you. It's There's just so much tr- uh, treasure in there. But I wanted to finish up. Got a couple of questions back, Jason, because I'm sure- I was just trying don't... to see
2: if I had something on my shelf that was from Dragon Magazine. The one thing I want to say about it is when you do those, spend more time with the ads. Because Gassed. that's where the real treasures are. And I the number of things that I've found by going back and being like, wait, did anybody buy this? Like, I recently just got one of those uh, dice wheels. You yeah. Know, the, and, Seven. you know, I, would, I had totally forgotten about it, except that it was in Dragon Magazine. So, yeah, those ads, they really spark your memories.
1: Well, what we found, um, and maybe this was that in the UK, they may have not, um, I don't remember seeing this, they had soft cover versions of the Monster yeah. Manual in the Player's Handbook. I never saw them. They were always hardback. And when we talked to a couple of the British authors, they're like, You mean this one? The soft one? I'm like, what do you mean? You have a soft cover. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. What is this madness? What is this war rations where they didn't have hardbacks or something? Kinda, and like, yeah. no, no, it was cheaper. But uh just to go back to the initiative, you still roll a die, but it's not the it's not a group initiative. You're you're it's based on the actions. The die roll helps, like you said, determine the relative but you're, you're, it's really the actions that you're doing, and then you follow the rules depending. It,
2: on what Basically, time. the die rolls is there to tell you the segments that you're beginning your actions on, and it you know lets you know which party has got relatively got the initiative. You know, I mean, these, these are abstractions that you could argue, and everybody has for forty years or fifty years or whatever. But you know, you. Just, Well, I I, I think the thing is that one thing I really like to remember when playing AD&D is I I like to remember its war game roots and to kind of understand that when the people were writing this and playing this, they were doing it with that mindset. And so when you're playing a game that's been written in the past decade, it's written more with story game kind of roots. And I don't think one's any better than the other. It's just that if I'm playing a newer game, I try to remember, like if I'm playing somebody playing Powered by the Apocalypse or Fate or whatever, I'm remembering these are younger people that maybe just want to get together and narratively uh, conspire to tell a story. If I'm playing a first edition game, this is a game that was written by war gamers, and the tactics matter and the, and the, and the simulationism matters. So I just try to remember that.
1: Okay, Go ahead, Dan. I
0: was just going to ask, do you ever get overwhelmed by all the rules? Because you sound like a player... Who, who likes to play by the rules, but do you ever feel like it's rules overload with first edition at times?
2: Well, I mean, there's two different answers. The first one, do I ever get overwhelmed by the rules? Absolutely, yes. And I think everybody does. And especially, you know, if you play with Jim Ward or Frank Menser or, you know, anybody who was playing at the beginning, they do not play rules as written. You know, none of, n- none of the people who actually were involved with making the game back in the beginning, especially Gary, never played it, you know, exactly as written. Right. And, you know, we'll talk about Top Secret a little bit later. But, you know, I'm largely responsible for right. you know, for, you know, in the new Top Secret. I don't play it exactly as the game that I just wrote. Right. <laughs> but as a purchaser of AD&D, yeah, I do. Try to play it as written. I get overwhelmed sometimes by them. But for me, that's part of the fun. And I think maybe some people agree with this and some people just don't find that to be fun. I know my co-hosts on Roll for Initiative did not agree with me. I like diving through tons of tables. I like sometimes stopping the action and saying, no, let's work out the math. I, I think that's kind of part of the arcana of the whole thing. And to me, it's part of the enjoyment.
0: I'd like to ask you about um, the death rule. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Gary seemed to soften it a bit with this negative 10 business. But then there's this sort of thing where you have this, you know, death is at zero. Optionally, it's at negative three. Uh, how do you interpret that? Because it's, it's very confusing for us. The way we're currently playing it is if a single blow brings you to minus four, you are dead, um, a lot of people though play it. It doesn't matter as long as you're not at negative ten. I don't care if you get hit down to negative seven on a single blow. You've got several segments before you bleed out. How, how do you play death?
2: Yeah, I, unless there's some really <laughs> unless there's some really uh, overwhelming reason for it, I will do the second thing that you said, which is to basically say even if you get knocked down to negative seven, you've still got a chance to stabilize and uh, potentially be saved um but there's some things like a coup de gras, right like in your sleep you're dead you're not going to get a chance to um save against somebody slitting your throat while you're asleep
0: well and you can probably use the assassin table for that i think right as yeah. james has pointed That's out right. non-assassins can use the assassin table right if it's near yeah, an we, optimal conditions.
1: we used we used the assassin's table uh, a couple of weeks ago when the party snuck up on uh things and that was another discussion um Let's see. Uh, I'm just looking at the comments because it's just exploding. Lots of comments. Oh man, let's
2: let's talk to people that are in the comments.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so Cyber Heston, our our good friend Martin from Sweden, says, "Which user on Dragon's Foot do you think is the most right regarding initiative?" Me. What's your your name on Dragon's Foot? I don't don't remember.
2: Actually, actually. I think I was Bonchan, B-O-N-C-H-O-N, because I really like Bonchan Korean chicken. Okay.
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, I mean, what, it's really good chicken. Um, <laughs> John Miller asks, "What do you think of Osric? Do you do you use it at the table, or do you just use the old books?"
2: I own the book, and I am sorry to say I've never even read it, uh, so I just don't know. I I, I bought it. When I was first getting back into gaming, because, you know, the whole OSR thing, and I thought, well, I need all this stuff. And then I realized that really it was for people who just didn't want to crack open the old books because maybe they didn't want to damage them or didn't feel that they were organized well enough. And, and, you know, so I understand that a lot of the OSR stuff is basically just kind of reorganizing old things and making it easier to use. So that's awesome. But I don't know enough about it to have an opinion on it. So I just think it's cool that it's out there.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Do, do you great. consider Polyhedron Answers to be... I feel like this is the lightning round for this
2: poor this guy. This is great. You, I'm having so much fun. I love lightning <laughs> Perfect. Do you consider... Do I get a prize at the end? Is there, is there a... Yes. Yeah, your, sure. Do I get a version of the, of the home game?
1: Sure, <laughs> if you'd like. That's, uh, you can, we'll give you a free subscription to all our 400 hours of us talking to people. It's, you can't yeah, You get a free subscription
0: wave. to our YouTube channel. Nice. So, <laughs> so, do you consider Polyhedron Answers... To be canon and official.
2: No. no. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, because essentially, if it did not get published in a bound book, then the idea was that it was never canon. And the thing is that our um, polyhedron stuff is meant for tournament play, so it's a totally different situation. Yeah,
0: I, I agree, and it's it's not Gary, which was is significant to me. N- nothing against the people that were d- doing those answers, but it wasn't Gary saying it. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you know. I mean, I th- I think there's really good stuff in there. I wish that I had been going to conventions back in the days and that I could have been involved in tournament play back in the 80s or whenever. Uh, it sounds like so much fun, but unfortunately I wasn't. Now, Although I do now have a little RPGA tie pin that Frank gave me, so that was nice of him. Nice. I can act like I was in the RPGA, even though I wasn't. <laughs>
1: The um, the, you know so with role for initiative you know you're you're on it I I I listened to a few of them Um, again I really appreciate your time so episode fifty nine I re-listened because that's your last episode and your oh I was only on up to fifty nine at least that's what the on the on the official site but uh, that was
2: that makes sense that makes sense
1: uh, right around two thousand nine and you know you obviously based on what you do you know, you, you have that a was lot of the interest the time that I
2: was restarting TSR is probably why. Yeah.
1: And, um, you know, which again is going to be another great story, but, uh, you know, you, you basically said, you know, you need a break, you got other things to do and it was not be fun. So, you know, for people who don't run a podcast, it was, you know, it's a grind after a while, even though we're talking, yeah. we're having fun, you got to do research. You would take it seriously. You've got to commit You want to do it right. It's a a big
2: time commitment. It really is. Like I'm right now, the show that I'm working on, I'm only a producer. I'm not on it. And there's seven people involved and it still takes up a chunk of my time. So, yeah. Hmm.
1: Now, would you be what was your you you mentioned your favorite guest already? um, You know, the historian. uh, What's his name again? I'm sorry. Dan Carlin. Dan Carlin, yeah. I got to get, I'm I'm writing down. There's got to be somebody in the comments who's a Dan Carlin fan. Oh yeah, they already are. They popped it up. Yeah, they they did. Um, And I don't want to be contentious. Was there, were there guests? What guests did you like having on? What guests didn't, as opposed to saying, who's your not favorite guest? Because that's rude.
2: I Honestly, I don't remember very well who all we had on, but I do remember the other, I'm going to go, I'm going to disappear for a second while I get something off my shelf to show you the other favorite guest. Okay.
1: And he turned and, it
0: off. <laughs> and he's gone. That's he doesn't right. come back.
2: And that's it for Jason. <laughs> um, you know, I actually, I'm looking to see if the, if his name is in here. But basically, um, we talked about Dragon Magazine and look at Always Read the Ads. So there used to be an ad, full page ad for this thing called Dragonfire 2. Huh. And... It took me basically. I couldn't find a copy of this anywhere. It was so ridiculously obscure. It's it's essentially a um, a dungeon master's aid for first edition before TSR came out with their stuff. And because I couldn't find a copy of it, I figured out who made it, and I did some sleuthing and found out he was teaching at Harvard now. And we got him on as a guest. And I was like, and I was like, yeah, blah blah blah, interview, interview. So do you have a copy? Can I have one? <laughs> he, he didn't own a copy. I finally got one. Uh, I think I finally found one on eBay. So this is one of my like favorite things I own because I do have a working Apple II that I use for every game. We actually use it for rolling up encounters and, and characters and stuff. Uh, but so having unfortunately I've forgotten the name of this professor that we had on, but he was he was another one of my favorite guests.
1: That's super cool. Would you, would you, I mean, obviously your podcast, would you do a gaming podcast again? And what would
2: be the If I had time, I totally would. Yeah. Um, So I have a show that I was going to start and we did about five episodes of it, but I didn't, you know, I didn't want to release it until I had enough. And then I got, you know, this gig with uh, iHeartMedia, which is taking all my time. But if I get a chance to again, um, I have a show called Making Games where... uh, Basically, I just want to talk to other people who make games and talk about their creative process and kind of how they do it. Um, And it's also an excuse for me to take a few minutes at the beginning of each one and just tell everybody what we're working on at TSR because I work very hard at stuff for TSR, but not a lot of stuff comes out. And I think it makes it look like, well, you're not doing anything. So I want to tell people this is what's going on, but I didn't want to just make it like, you know, talking about myself so I thought I'd talk to other gaming creators about their creative process like I said I've got uh, a few of them done already maybe we'll start putting them out Um, but right now it's just a time issue
1: well now that's a good segue into TSR because when when we heard that you're the genius who uh, acquired TSR Dan and I were just like He's our hero. That's amazing. <laughs> so maybe you can kind of go over... I'm the random, I'm the random idiot who did it. Well, just, how, you know, how did... What was the background? How did you figure out that this was available? And then Dan yeah. uh, will ask you to produce the agreements and the case law that you used, and he'll review that for uh consistency. But maybe yeah, you just go pretty, over how that happened. It's actually pretty
2: simple. So I was doing Role for Initiative, and, you know, so it's got TSR on the brain, right? And I... Uh, I just kind of wondered. I'm like, yeah, I wonder if that trademark uh, is still active. Like, does does anybody still use it? Um, and so I went on to, if anybody knows, the uh, trademark office has a really easy-to-use uh, search engine. I'm saying that facetiously. Uh, but you're able to kind of look it up. And I found out that the TSR was considered a dead trademark because it had not been uh, used in commerce for, like, 20 years, right? So I just thought randomly, let me just see what happens if I go and try to register it. I mean, it cost about $1,500 because I had to hire a lawyer and stuff. But, you know, honestly, I was not doing it with any idea in mind. I just thought, wouldn't it be weird if I could get it? And I got it because the trademark office looked at it and said, yeah, nobody's using this, this is the dead trademark. And then I was all freaked out. I'm like, oh, geez, I own the trademark, to TSR. What am I going to do with it? And I started calling everybody who I knew that was a gamer that, you know, it's like, what should we do with this thing? And everybody had a ton of ideas. And I even ended up talking to this guy who was sort of a specialist in reviving abandoned trademarks. He, uh, if anybody likes Hydrox cookies, You know, like there's Oreos and then there's Hydrox. This is the guy who got the trademark for Hydrox cookies and brought them back. Hmm. And so, you know, I heard him on some NPR show. So I got his number and I called him up. I'm like, help, how do I do this? And he gave me some advice and everybody gave me advice. And I finally just decided the only way we're going to do anything with this is if it's got original TSR people involved. I can't just be some random dude. And we're not going to try to make a game right away because... There's no way we can live up to the legacy of this huge company and try to, you know, be a bunch of pretenders to it. So I knew uh, Luke and Ernie Gygax from gaming conventions, you know, from going to Gary Con and, you know, just being around. And so I talked to Ernie first and then Luke after. And I said, you know, what do you guys think? What if we did like a spiritual successor to Dragon Magazine and we can call it Gygax because you guys are Gygaxes. And uh, we could, you know, do this thing. And they're like, yeah, let's do that. So we got a hold of Tim, Tim Kask, because obviously he was the guy who started Dragon Magazine. So I was like, there's nobody better to start a gaming magazine with than the guy who basically started all gaming magazines. And uh, we got Len Lakofka. And, you know, like I said, we started getting as much of the old crew together as we could to start doing some things. And I figured, you know, if we're going to do something and call it TSR, let's at least make it about celebrating the whole industry and kind of raising everybody else up and talking about them rather than just talking about ourselves. So, you know, that was the idea of what to do with it. And it really, honestly, the name TSR, we use it as like a, um, a tribute, you know, at no point have we ever tried to pretend that we are that TSR, you know, that would be really messed up. And, uh, You know, we're not trying to ever claim any of their legacy because we didn't do what they did. That was that was these guys Um, to us. It's like a tribute uh, to say it's kind of a signal to people saying, you know, we care about the history of gaming. But now we're doing new stuff. Um, We're basically saying, you know, what would a TSR do if it was starting today?
0: And, and and I know, unfortunately, Gygax magazine came to an end, right? I think that it was unfortunate, right? But my understanding mm-hmm. is, right, from legal issues, right, that the, the, whether you could use the Gygax name, correct? Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. so um, there's only certain things I can say about it because there was a whole, like, legal situation. And so I have to be careful that I don't uh, violate any kind of, like, non-disclosure that we did. Uh, but basically, what it came down to is that I mean, and you're going to watch me be a little bit deliberate here. Uh, essentially, no, we want you
0: to be. We don't. We don't want you getting in trouble coming on yeah. our show. That was not our intent. So please be yeah. be as circumspect and deliberate as you need to be.
2: Okay, so uh, for anybody who knows something about intellectual property law, there's three different fundamental. Uh, well, three or four actually. There's four different issues. There's trademark. There's patent. There's copyright, and there's um, right of publicity. Four completely different things. A trademark is something where you need to use a name in trade. And there's a trademark office that makes sure that people don't confuse one product with another. So, you know, if you make a Ford car, you're gonna get in trouble because you would be like, There already is a Ford car. You're gonna people that don't know who's making the car. But if you made Ford chocolates, you can do that because Ford is a car company, not a chocolate company, right? So it's only there to prevent confusion. Uh, and then, you know, all these other kind of issues, I won't get into them in detail, but what it basically came down to is we said, we're going to make a magazine. We're going to call it Gygax magazine as a way of kind of, again, signaling that we respect the history and we respect the legacy. Um, and we're doing it with Gary's sons, you know, who actually worked on the game and worked at TSR. Uh, and we figure that's, you know, pretty legit. And when it comes to trademark, you can go and you can register it with the trademark office, like I did for TSR, and it really locks you down. It costs money, but it locks you down. Or you can just assert your trademark. You can just put a little TM on it that says, I haven't registered this, but I'm telling everybody, look at me, I'm using it in commerce. So for Gygax Magazine, we put a little TM on it, and we just said, we're just asserting the fact that even though this is, you know, the Gygaxes making a magazine, um, we want people to know we're trademarking this. We haven't filed it yet, but, you know, we consider this a trademark. And then a dispute came into play because uh, there's another person who uh, has some rights to Gary's copyright, to some of the stuff that he actually made, and who has... Yeah, that's as much as I'll say about that. (laughs) Uh, And this other person kind of (laughs) came along and said, well, I don't want you making Gygax magazine. And we said, well, tough toenails, you know, because... You know, here's the law. Your right of publicity does not exist in the state where you live, so you can't use that. We're not using any of Gary's copyrighted material. We're never claiming the rights to any of his work. We're simply using the name that belongs to Luke and Ernie. This is their name, and we're calling a a magazine that. And um, long story short, we and this other person went and tried to file the trademark even though we already existed. And I'm like, oh, that's easy. I can stop that. I'll just tell the trademark office, look at this magazine. It already exists. Turns out nothing's that easy. Everything costs a lot of money, costs a lot of lawyers. Uh, The short story is we could not afford the legal battle that would have ensued to basically defend our trademark. So in order to defend our trademark from somebody else who was trying to use it, we would have had to spend money that we did not have. I mean, I'm talking money that I don't think I've ever seen in my life as, a, as an individual person. Um, hmm. And this other person had very deep pockets, uh, so we couldn't afford to fight it. So eventually we just made a settlement and we said, OK, we're going to stop calling it that we're going to stop using the name. Uh, why don't we just like agree to go to our separate corners and do no harm to each other? And, you know, that was kind of that. Basically, we just couldn't afford to uh, defend the legal battles we would have had to defend in order to keep the thing going. And we felt like at that point, it it it, it just, it, we, we wanted to go do the next thing anyways. And, and Luke and Ernie basically had to leave uh, the company because they didn't want to get tied up into any of the uh, agreements. They didn't want to sign anything, which I think they were a thousand percent right to do. Um, and so without Luke and Ernie as part of the magazine, I, I didn't feel right calling it Gigax magazine anyway, right. and I didn't feel right continuing to try to do that. I said, "Let's do a new thing." So, um, since we were kind of ready to go on to the next thing, I was like, "Let's let's do this other project we've always wanted to do, which is to revive Top Secret." So that was what we did. So maybe you can I go think and- I just got. I think I just. Did that legally without violating? I think I didn't say anything disparaging. That's okay.
1: No one heard it. So the good news is no one listens. Yeah, no one it. There's, there's yeah. only two, yeah. This is not telling me. Don't worry about it. No one listens uh, to this that's, podcast. That's
2: probably the most I've ever talked about that since it happened. So
1: yeah. Ah oh, well, well we, we get a that. scoop then. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well and in fact people are commenting. Thank you for telling this important story because I think you know for the casual person who's not the inside baseball and you know we would we didn't know it. We saw it, it was there and it disappeared. It's like oh it's too bad. Not. Some of the the stuff there, and um you know, and then it's com- confusing again for the layman for someone who's well, how did you revive top secret top secrets uh you know a classic game and <laughs> how you know how did, how does did that happen so you know, that's where you know, the confusion I've, comes, I think for some I'm folks
2: very I very much do not want to become the guy who goes and just gets old uh, names and revives them, so that's probably the last time I'll do it right. Uh, <laughs> 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 The thing is, so I mentioned, right, that Top Secret was one of the first games I ever played. And if I'm being honest, I'm going to be a little bit blasphemous here. As a kid, I liked it more than D&D. It was actually my favorite game. All
1: right, hold on. We got to. No, I'm just kidding. You're you're good. No, and and I love Top Secret.
2: You know what I loved about it as a kid was that I didn't have to learn anything about the world. I'm like, it's the world I live in. If I want to know how to do things, I just look in the encyclopedia. Or read the newspaper, um, or other things that happened before the internet.
1: Well, what I loved uh, about it, just real quick, please. um, You know, it wasn't D anD D; it was real world, and it exacerbated the best laid plans of mice and men. You'd always, because every mission was a stealth mission, or it it tried to be, and we were kids, so we were always. (laughs) I still remember. I'm going to bring my Bernoulli street sweeper. Like, wait a minute, you're in a, a stealth mission. Why are you bringing Bernoulli street? Because it's cool. And they, the other guy's got a rocket launcher. Because you knew no matter what the plan was, just like you know, it's so someone's going to go. That's it. I'm going in. Like, no, you can't go in right now. They're going to and and it just fell apart and shenanigans, and it was just oh, a lot of yeah. Fun. You
0: weren't you weren't the A team.
1: You're not supposed to be the A team, <laughs> but they gave you all the stats for it. So and, you know, as a Sixteen-year-old and younger, you always went to. You look at the table list, and, and and again, this combat system was good as all percent. Like that's cool. I want that. And you're like this armed assault thing, which was not the intent of it. It was you know no. again, they had, so it was just great. It was, and it was so, it was non- so much fun to do it, right? right? Exactly
2: blow everything up. And you know we didn't we didn't know about Twilight Two Thousand when it came to like blowing things up with modern weapons. Uh, yeah. So I mean, when I was a kid. Not only was Top Secret my favorite game, but Merle Rasmussen was this like mysterious figure, right? You know, all these other game designers, you would see their pictures, you would see them writing a bunch of stuff. Merle wrote some things in the in the Dragon magazine, but then he just sort of like disappeared. And like, you know, who is this mysterious Merle Rasmussen? He's probably eight feet tall and he's got a beard, you know, like Odin. And, uh, you know, he probably wields. Bernoulli Street sweepers in each arm. Uh, you know, who is this guy? Uh, so when I recently, you know, a few years ago, went and I said, how do I find him? You know, he's been missing, so to speak, for years. And uh, Jim Ward just had his phone number. He's like, yeah, no, he he probably hasn't changed his number. Why don't you call him? And I called him and he was there. Uh, but But here's the crazy thing. So, you know, Merle and I got together a few years ago and we started talking and it turns out when I was a kid and thought he was mysterious, my memory is a little bit wrong because, first of all, I met him when mm-hmm. I went to the first gaming convention I ever went to. He and I actually met when I was like a teenager. He was the only – uh, uh, he was the featured speaker at this thing called Omicon, which was really a science fiction convention so that nobody was really interested in spies. So literally nobody – went to his talk except me i was the only person that came to his talk (laughs) and to merle's credit he didn't like you know get all like oh nobody's here no he was just like oh well i guess i'll just do my talk for this one kid and he just did it and then we sat and we just talked for like an hour and i had completely forgotten that this happened and he reminded me of it and i was like oh my gosh and you know we're so that was
1: he remembered you that's that's crazy that's amazing. Well, I mean, I'm the only guy that went to his talk. Yeah, <laughs> but in some He's, convention in where the Midwest was, was where was Omaha. this? Omaha, Nebraska. You, you, it's not like you know, it's, uh... remem- no,
0: no, you know why he remembers it. He's still upset about it. Why did not <laughs> yeah. that kid leave? <laughs> <laughs> I had to sit there and talk with that kid.
2: I was under yeah, contract. had lunch.
0: So... <laughs> do you find? Do you find that your? Do you find that having the TSR name look? Not that you wouldn't have some cloud because you did the very successful, you know. Uh, role for podcast but do you feel that it, it brings you clout so now when you approach people like a Merle Rasmussen or you approach you know the guy Gaxes, that having the TSR name you find it to help I would think it would not clout
2: no I'm not going to say clout um mm-hmm. I think it helps as a conversation starter right like oh well you know this is a little bit different this per- I think what it does is it shows a level of seriousness that if we were just you know Blue Pumpkin Games or whatever that, you know, they'd be like, who is this? But he's like, oh, well, this is interesting. Here's somebody who went to the trouble of reviving this name. At least I'll hear him out. Right. Uh, and if we were doing a bad job with it, then people would just be like, get out of here, kid, you bother me. So uh, it, it's a good conversation starter uh, and it's a fun thing to to do. Uh, but no, not clout, because like I said, you know, you have to live or die on your own merits.
0: Is your plan to sell it to uh, Wizards of the Coast for multi uh, multi million dollar deal at some point?
2: As everyone knows, the uh, tabletop gaming industry is nothing but multi million dollar deals. Um, <laughs> you guys are right, right?
0: Yeah, our pay- yeah our, our patron account yeah. I think is up to right? How, That's right. That, yeah. yeah.
1: I, mean, I, guess, you know, we, I, I basically we, bathe yeah, in yeah. dollar bill. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're turning people away from patron at this
0: point. I got to I, I tell you, this is not a good negotiation ploy. That You know, the coast is going to listen to this years later. And they're like, oh, yeah, this guy will take nothing.
2: No, they, 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 they. Uh, so no, I'm friends with a bunch of people over at Wizards, um, and you're asking about Top Secret, and so I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that too. So the same sort of thing with Top Secret. It turned out the the trademark had been abandoned because Wizards just had no interest in it anymore. Um, and since we had Merle and everything doing it, we kept we kept the name really secret until we did the Kickstarter because we didn't want anybody to know that we were doing this and get wise and be like, oh crap, we better go, you know, renew that trademark. So that was a little sneaky that we just didn't tell anyone until it was really out. Uh, but by the time it came out, you know, I was talking with some people from Wizards, and I what I what I kind of heard in the background was that one of them was like saying to uh, another friend of ours who's a lawyer, he's like, "Don't don't we own that? Is are they allowed to do that?" And the the lawyer guy's like, "Not anymore. You don't." <sighs> They got you. They 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 went around and they made it, and now it's a thing. And they're like, ah, whatever. Good luck to them. We didn't want to do it anyway. Uh, so I mean, we're 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 not treading on their ground. Wizards' big number one business is Magic: The Gathering. That's what they really are. They're the Magic: The Gathering company. Yeah. And now they've done such a really. i I'm, I'm just gonna. I know you guys mostly talk about first edition stuff, but they've done such a good job with Dungeons and Dragons, both in terms of finding a way to make old school and new school players at least not incredibly angry. You know, at least, you know, fifth edition has been a little bit of a good thing for that. Uh, but but from a business perspective, they've really figured out how to get this thing working as a business again. Uh, so they're so busy with that. The last thing in the world they want to do is to go around and do some piddly ant you know, bringing back, you know, one of their smaller games. Uh, Like if you guys know Mark Hunt, who's doing gangbusters now.
1: Oh, really? No, I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah, I mean,
2: yeah, Mark Hunt, uh, everybody should check it out. So Mark Hunt, he's a really good, uh, he's another grognard from back in the day. And his personal game was gangbusters. Same way mine was top secret. He just loved it so much. Uh, And he went and, you know, scared up the guy who originally did Gangbusters and said, can I get your blessing to do a new one? And he is doing a new version of Gangbusters that is really, really good. Hmm. Um, And, you know, Wizards basically, they're not sitting around saying, like, anybody do what you want. Go take our stuff. It's not like that. And I do not encourage anybody to try to do Gamma World or Star Frontier (laughs) because I guarantee you they will come down on you like a sledgehammer. Uh, but in in this particular case, you know, we are doing something that they were not interested in. We did it legally. We you know we dotted all our eyes and crossed all our t's, and it worked out. But we're not trying to create a game company to sell to somebody else or anything. This is supposed to just be something to make games and have fun.
1: Well, and these you know these. Games had merit not just from a nostalgia value; they were good games, and they need to be revived. And I agree with you, Jason. That I'm glad there's a fifth edition, and I hope thirty years from now there's a ninth edition. Because if not, there won't be a D and D. People are not going to just play uh, a first edition forever, a second edition, whenever you came into it. So it has to be evergreen, and it has to change. and And I think fifth edition. You know, my son, he's 18, my youngest son um he, he plays first edition with me but he also plays fifth edition with his friends and and it's and it's a good it's a good game i mean but to me the the challenge is when people don't revive it and they just sit on it like you know whether it's star frontiers or gamma world or any of these other ones where you know they they were part of our childhood and i think they're good games you know if, if, if you have a plan for them that's great if you're just holding them for some ip that you're going to deal with later that's when it's Un- unfortunate. So, it's-
2: I, I, I sometimes I agree with it, but I remember, you know, years ago, I was always really upset because a lot of the classic arcade video games were. Like the companies just wouldn't let anybody do anything with them. And they'd come down on people who were making meme versions and whatever. And I was like, you're just sitting on it. But now these companies are coming out and they're doing really cool new stuff with them, like the new Intellivision or uh, whatever. So, you know, sometimes it's nice to see them come back and I and I respect their need to, to do that. And I love Star Frontiers, uh, but I've also been playing Starfinder a bit and it's pretty fun. So and if I want to play Star Frontiers, I just will. I'll just get Star Frontiers out.
1: Yeah, I think the challenge is like you you've talked about it 10 years ago in Rule for initiative is finding these books. They get harder and harder to find. Yeah, you can find them on DriveThruRPG and you can do yeah. some other things. But it's not the same of having the physical book. And 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 and, and in a format that's, you know, there's still it's not the same quality. It's close, but it's not the same. Oh, I having. don't even think it's close. I mean, I'm going to
2: show you right now it's not close. All right, it's not close. Here's a real rule cyclopedia which is beautifully done the paper is you know really easy to turn it's nice and then here's the reprint for the rule cyclopedia it's like half again is thick because it's got this like nasty I mean, paper the,
1: the, the original absolutely yeah i, I, I was yeah, going to get I mean, that one just, and i didn't because but this but no, costs I mean, a lot more than that reprint
2: well, the nice thing is this reprint, I can I don't want to worry about it. I just flip through it, and there's a, I, I don't care what happens to it. It's a reprint. Yeah. I'm not going to do that with the original. So, you know.
0: Do you know when the decline in the quality of books came? Yes. unearth Arcana.
2: Oh, no, 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 no. The no, the lack like, thereof. So, so printing is something I really love. We're currently, my wife and I are looking to uh, – try to move out to the countryside a little bit somewhere we can get like a shop or a barn because I want to reproduce an old printing press in there. I want to start getting that equipment and start making things the way that you could have done back in the day uh, because it, it's just the 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 whole process of making a high quality book or magazine just doesn't really there's not a demand for it anymore.
0: Could you and you've pointed out your shelf you grabbed some things off there could you, uh tell us some of your most prized possessions and now of course we're going to be asking for your address as well you need yeah. to know that <laughs> but so so you obviously it, it, it's a great looking shelf back there you'd mentioned some of the things you have on there what what are some of your most prized possessions
2: i'm gonna have to stand up and walk around to grab a couple things but i'm gonna no get worries one. yep absolutely please uh, that'd be great so- I'll just pull out some of my favorite things. So some of my favorite stuff is my collection of International Wargamer magazines that Gary used, Gary Gygax used to write for before he got this idea to play Dungeons & Dragons. Very cool. Um, so you'll find a bunch of articles by uh, Gary Gygax. He, that's the thing. He was so prolific. Nobody worked harder than Gary Gygax. That's why he did what he did. Not because he was the smartest guy in the room or the best, even though he was, by all accounts, like the best chess player anybody's ever met. But because nobody worked harder than this guy, you yeah. Find he, his he, everywhere,
0: how quickly he turned out things like the DMG is amazing. I mean, that's like a life's work. It seems to me
2: anybody would be proud to have that as their life's work. And yet, this guy's work ethic was so serious that yeah. Um, so that's some of my favorite stuff. Is old things like that. Um, uh, let's see here. I really, uh, particularly. Th- th- by the way, this tunnels and trolls. It looks like in the shrink. I re shrink it. Um, whenever I do that, I put a little sticker inside the shrink saying wow. it's a reshrink.
0: shrink. Oh, so All you're I not do, you're not tricking people on
2: eBay. I do not want anybody ever. <laughs> you know, God forbid I get hit by a bus and somebody says, "Hey, look at this collection of shrink." No, it's re shrink. I do this so that it just keeps the box protected. And then I open it up to play it, and then I shrink it again.
1: So, wow. you, have, have you? Do you have detailed instructions to your spouse on how much you, she should get for all these items? If if you should pass <laughs> before her, unlike my wife, who will look at all this and go, "The first person yard- who gives me twenty bucks, uh,
0: yeah. yard takes... sale." <laughs> she looks at your stuff and says, "Yard sale."
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you saw when we talked yesterday. <laughs> you know, I play guitar and I have guitars, and she would give them all away for fifty bucks. And you know, my it would list- be like.
0: It'd be the sign in the corner that says estate sale with the arrow. Right. She finds all your stuff
1: (laughs) in the yard. (laughs) If you'll take these Gibsons, please do, because they're in the way. Bring a truck, you can uh, have them. This is my yoga room now. Um, Yeah. So I don't know if you have d- detailed instructions. Uh,
2: who who is this Les Paul, and why did he write all over this guitar? Yeah, that's right. right.
1: Exactly. I don't know. He's, he's the first this signature guitar is worthless. Bottle.
2: Somebody scribbled on it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yes. Exactly. She would. Uh, I mean, she she'd probably go to eBay, but she'd just look up the first Les Paul, and she'd either ask for fifty, you know, five fifty five thousand or, or three hundred dollars. She would know the difference. So.
0: Why would you think this is valuable, though? I mean, the spine's missing. You know what I mean? It looks like junk, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: Um so some of this
2: stuff I don't know if it's valuable, but I just think it's fun. Like this is the TSR wood burning kit. Oh look at that. That's super you know? wood cool. Wood burning kit. Yes, you can you can make Are your you... own pencil box.
0: Wait, what does wood burning mean? What's the burning and what's what's the burning part well, of it?
2: You actually let's with... see the little picture of somebody trying to burn things yeah, there it's with, like the... with the hot
0: irons. So you can make Oh, you make pictures. The burning yeah, puts yeah. designs on it. Exactly. You need to get okay. out more,
2: Dan. Age, age is four and up. <laughs> right, gonna, I'll pick a couple more random things. So um, I think you know, people might know the card game Nuclear War. That's yeah. a lot of fun. And you know, there's like this earlier version that's oh, wow. a lot smaller. Um, but then there's the oldest version that I'd ever seen, which is this white box version. Wow, of look at war. that!
0: It's a white box version <laughs> of Nuclear War. But then I like the brown box version. Out,
2: this is this is the oldest one I'd ever seen. I saw you know I used to uh, play this over at Ernie Gygax's house because this is just his old version and he would just, not this one. I got my own copy, but he would just pull it out and I am like, "That's it, that's the oldest." Wait, Turns out there's wait. an older version. There's an older version from like 1962 or something. So oh. those
0: okay, wait, you got to stop right there because people always do stuff like that. Like yeah, I was over at Ernie Gygax's house and he pulled out. How does that happen? I mean. How do you end up at Ernie Guy? I guess we work on the Gygax magazine. You would yeah, hang out. Yeah, okay.
2: yeah. I mean, like I said, I just knew Luke and Ernie from gaming conventions. Uh, but then once we started working together, then, you know, I whenever I was in Lake Geneva, I would be hanging out over at Ernie's and stuff. I mean, you know, we're all everybody's just a gamer.
0: I was just about to ask you that, because that's what they say about Gary. Gary, at heart, he was a gamer. He liked to game. And, like, I didn't realize that he—I was a war gamer, and I didn't realize he'd done Alexander the Great War Game, Avalon Hill Game, that I had played, and it's a Gary Gygax game. Do you have?
2: Uh, I was just looking to see if I had it. Um... Did you know that that was Gary. Mm-hmm. So was one
0: of the, yeah? I did not know that. I mean, so I was doing playing Gary Gygax games before D and D, which is interesting. Oh, before I knew about D d
2: D, I'm going to show you something that's not gaming related, but it's it, for some reason it's here and it's one of my favorite things. How about three cans of mint unopened Billy beer?
1: Ah, oh, Billy beer from Billy beer. Wait, was that for? Bill, was that Bill, Billy, Billy Carter? Carter? Billy Carter.
0: Oh my gosh! Wait. That's a strange story. What's the story behind that? He was an alcoholic, wasn't he? Something like that.
2: Heck yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) But was that his beer? Like, did he do the
2: brand? Yeah, he he made this beer. Um, It's ironic, isn't it? I've never had it, but by all accounts, it's one of the worst beers ever made. He, himself, there was a a famous thing where somebody was was interviewing Billy Carter, and they're like, so, I see you had a lot of Billy beer. How is it? He's like, this stuff's terrible. I hate it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> not a good salesman.
1: It didn't do well. It really yeah, did. it sucks. There you go. That's awesome. What is your
0: what judges? What's your favorite Judges Guild mod? You mentioned that you got some some Judges Guild models back
1: there. Yeah, you know, I
2: don't know. I've got more than I've read. I mean, mm-hmm. I like using City State of the Invincible Overlord just uh-huh. because it's such a good uh, city to use. But yeah. I, honestly, I'm not that familiar with a lot of the different actual adventures. I found them kind of dense and difficult to run. So that's one of those. I think everybody has a certain amount of things on their shelf that they just have, and they've maybe read, but they've never played.
0: Do you have a favorite magazine adventure? So from Dragon or White Dwarf, did you ever run those? Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, Baba Yaga's Hut. Mm, mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the—honestly, that's one of the best adventures ever written, whether it's in Dragon Magazine or anywhere else, just because there's so much fun going on.
0: Mm. Do you think— What do you know about Roger Moore? And my understanding is Roger Moore is he's left the industry. He doesn't have much of an interest in return. Roger Moore, for me, is this is number two after Gary. I love Roger. Moore. I love his point of view articles from Dragon magazine. Do you know anything about Roger Moore?
2: Yeah, I mean, we reached out to him to see if he'd be interested in being involved with Gygax Magazine. And like you said, he kind of just sort of left the industry and and, and that's fine. So I don't really know what he's up to right now. But a lot of people, you know, when they're done with the gaming industry, they've got other things to go on and do. And that's, you know.
1: Yeah. So, so Dan, before let's get a couple of chats because then I want to talk to Jason about what um, TSR is working on now because he's got some Thank um, you. Yeah. sneak let's sneak, sneak, about sneak new preview stuff. stuff. So, just a couple of things from the chat. You know, you mentioned about republishing thing. Uh, John asks, have you ever thought of trying to work with Watsy or Wizards of the Coats to reprint some of their older properties? Would they even be interested well, in that?
2: They're doing you know everything on Drive Through RPG. You
1: can pick stuff
2: up there. So,
1: but uh, with the higher quality, like you were talking about. You know, well, I,
2: I think, I think, uh, right now it's just best not to poke the bear, you know, kind of let them do their thing and don't try to make too much of a thing out of it. You know, we've had a nice kind of uh, relationship where we don't do anything to challenge any of their stuff and we don't try to get involved. So, um, uh,
1: do you have any tips for people who want to start a podcast? I mean, you know, we've, we've got some of our, patrons, they, they're they doing podcasts and some of them are solo things. You know, we're a duo. You've done it. You're in the industry for a long time. What what are the top advice that you'd give people?
2: Uh, number one thing is don't spend your time worrying about equipment at the beginning. That's like, I think the most common thing people do is you spend a lot of time going, what's the perfect microphone or whatever. And it honestly, yeah, that's fine. It's important. But um I mean, obviously, the, the, the main thing for a podcast to be is it's got to be something you're passionate about because you're going to be spending so much time on it that if you don't truly care about it, you're going to give up. You're just going to get sick of it. Yeah. Uh, start. Make sure you've got a partner. Don't try to do it by yourself. You know, you got to have somebody who is going to be, you know, kind of your back and forth on it and spend time listening to your favorite shows and deciding what is your taste level. You know, what are the things that you actually admire Um, and put a little planning into it ahead of time. So if your favorite shows are, you know, A, B and C, sit down and listen to those three shows. Write down what you like about them and steal, you know, steal shamelessly your favorite ideas, because no matter how much you steal, it's still going to be completely different when you do it. It's going to be your own thing. Um, So that's my main... So my main things are uh, plan ahead. You know, actually, hold on, I'm going to turn off my little uh, notifications here because one of my other podcast uh, partners is trying to bug me. Um, so, So plan ahead, you know, actually have some idea of what it is you want to do because when people listen to your show, they're listening to be informed or entertained. They don't want to hear what did I have for breakfast this morning? They're not your personal friends. They don't need to be caught up that much. Give them something valuable.
1: So it's fair to say if they listened to our show and did everything opposite, they would be good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, there's two of us. That's
2: right. Yeah. down. <laughs> try, try to you you know try to use your time wisely try to fill. try to respect the fact that your listeners are here uh, they're giving you your time to listen they their time to listen to it so respect that and give them something worth listening to right. um, but then the other thing is the most important thing with a podcast more than anything else is just be consistent and predictable like if you say you're going to come out every week Really do it. If you don't think you can stick to it, make it bi weekly, make it monthly, but be predictable because if people are expecting your show and it doesn't show up, eventually they're just gonna get bored and they're gonna wander off and it's really hard to get them back. So just be consistent and predictable.
1: yeah, and and we've that's one of the things we've tried. We were weekly and when we made the decision, we're trying to stick to that because you know, we need to be fair. Uh because we get a lot of people, you know, this is their Saturday morning and, and we would love to do it weekly, but it's it, it became, and then we were becoming unpredictable. Um, so that's that's great advice. And and the name of the podcast that you're thinking about, you've done a few in the can, but you haven't released. What you what were you going to call it? Oh, so that one's called Making Games. Making Games. Okay.
2: Yeah. Um, but like I say, so I've done the first, I think four episodes. So I, the first person I had on was Lee Gold, the who creates who created alarms and excursions the first gaming zine in history and still does it to this day um and then you know, had like keith baker and um Satine phoenix and uh Paconi. Cool. um so you know they're good they're good kind of evergreen stuff i'll release them when i feel like i can really commit to actually bringing one out every week um maybe a little bit before we can do that though
1: okay and so um you know one of the things is is again uh New World Order came out, and but you know, you're, you're not to your point, you're not stopping with this. You've got other products, so and you were willing to share some of them. Well, so what are you working on right now that you'd be willing to cool. share so, with our audience?
2: Yeah, let me see. I've got some stuff laying around here. So, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, this is the new Top Secret. So, the first one obviously was just called Top Secret. You know, we got this cool guns and everything on the cover, all laid out like that. And then, you know, the second one was Top Secret S.I. So they did a really cool thing at the time where they didn't call it, you know, first edition, second edition. It was a new game. Top Secret S.I. is a different game from Top Secret. But it's still, you know, got the guns and got the kind of stuff going on. So this new third edition is Top Secret NWO, New World Order. So you can see we've got sort of a visual consistency back then, but it's a completely different game. Um, and the stuff that you get in it, let me just pull some of it out here. You know, we really, I try to pack this thing full of stuff. So we've got uh, you know, this nice uh,
1: Games Master screen,
2: administrator screen. Yep, nice trifold administrator screen. There's uh, going back to the kind of printing thing. Like, I'm very proud of our character sheets. I know that's a silly thing, but I really uh, love our character sheets. They come on a nice gummed tablet that you can kind of tear off. Uh, when we were making these, I wanted them to really feel like something that you found in a file folder. So like I scanned old file folders. I actually, when, when we made the character sheet, I then took it and I bought an old analog, uh, Xerox machine. So I could Xerox it a bunch of times and make it properly distressed. Not some Photoshop, not some Photoshop filter, an actual old Xerox, Um, you know, it comes with a first adventure, you know, all ready to go, full of you know great stuff in Riga. Um, so we really try to fill this thing full of useful things, um, even little uh, punch-out chits. You know, it's it's really trying to give you a full box set experience. Um, so that's the thing. Obviously, you can buy right now, and uh, there there was also a, a hardback version of it that was only for Kickstarter backers. Uh, which I probably have laying around, but cool. anyway. So that's the kind of stuff that's out right now. But uh, the most important thing is to keep having adventures and new stuff. So um, we have a couple of adventures that are uh, in the can that we're getting finished in, like terms of you know full sized, you know looking like this kind of things. Uh, one of them is. Uh, Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting people's names that have done things. Well, I'll just say about one of them. So I mentioned Top Secret SI. That so Merle Rasmussen did the first Top Secret. The second one was made by Douglas Niles. So he's now he's back now as well. He wrote uh, one of our first adventures, a thing called the Durand Line, where you get to go have an adventure in um, Afghanistan, um, working with in in the Hindu Kush, which is really cool. Uh, but while we're waiting for these big things to come out. Uh, we wanted to basically have a way to bring out a lot more quicker, smaller adventures. And so we have a separate thing that we're calling the Black Ops series. And I have the first, I have a box of the first ones here. Wow,
1: straight out of the box. Cool.
2: Um, so this one, it's called The Drop. And uh, you can see their digest size. This is actually just the covers. The uh, full copy is sitting in the. I was rushing around trying to find it this morning and I couldn't find it. But. Um, Anyway, so with the, with these um, digest size ones, they're a little bit smaller. We don't put as much artwork into them, and the covers are always following kind of a consistent thing where you have like a different person on the cover, but we don't try to create a whole scene. The point of that is we want to be able to bring them out quickly and sell them for a low price, like under $10. Uh, so that first one uh, we're going to be putting on sale this weekend, and then we have a few more kind of coming in quick succession after that. Uh other things that we're working on with Top Secret, uh, I'm really excited about the fact that some of the gamers who have been playing the game have now become contributors to it. Uh, Scott Congable is, the, I think, like the, uh, the number one player of the new game, to the point that he's had a campaign going since day one that has gone way beyond anything I've done in my home game. Cause I usually play at like conventions and one shots and stuff. So he knows so much more about what level progression should be like, how skills should advance everything else that he's now written a whole book um, basically on, you know, trade craft and extra stuff you can do uh, that we're finishing up right now with him. And then Nick Seidler is working on an equipment book that should be out probably around January. Uh, And then we have some other little accessories and stuff like that to make the game uh, a little bit, faster and easier to play as well so uh it looks i think to people like you know i've definitely had questions like okay so top secret where's the new stuff like you still exist what's your deal you jerk and uh, you know we're working really hard on all of these things probably should have just done one at a time instead of getting them all ready to come out at once but you know it's kind of the way it is well, but the game it's, itself is, I think, still tons of fun to play, you know, as is. Um, and there's a lot, there's a very active Facebook group, um, if you look for Top Secret New World Order, where people have been putting a lot of uh, additional fan base material as well.
1: So is it more, uh, is it a, a natural evolution from first, you know, the original or SI, or is it a hybrid? You know, because for folks who, like, I've played the first one, I never played uh, the second one. What's going to be the difference? What's going to be the same? You know that kind of thing. Just
2: yeah, you know, since we were talking before about you know, would you would should somebody bring back you know, Gamma World or Star Frontiers or whatever? And those games, you know, you could basically play the first edition of Gamma World, which I still do. It's really fun. It doesn't really make a huge difference if you're playing it in the year twenty twenty or nineteen eighty, right? Because it's about this fictional. Right. Post-apocalyptic world that could happen whenever. But Top Secret is set in a contemporary setting. So you kinda have to do a new version every so often. Because if you play the very if you go and play the first edition of Top Secret right now, the rules are good, but all of the technology, all of the world events are just way out of date. Right. So if you're gonna play that, you have to play it in basically a nineteen eighties Cold War setting, which is super fun. But if you want to play what's happening in the year 2020, that game is not as easy to play for the year 2020. So that's the first big difference is that everything in top secret now is for the modern world. Like uh, obviously, you know, computers and internet and all these kind of things have a big role to play. Uh, but the rule set is completely different too. So the, di- the reason we felt that we wanted to do it that way is first of all, that, Top Secret and Top Secret SI are completely different games. So there was a precedent that had already been set for just doing a new system. But the other one was, I mentioned before that there's a difference between trademark and copyright. We own the trademark, Top Secret, New World Order. We do not own the copyright to the old game. So it was really important that when we brought this out, especially because Merle Rasmussen is the primary author, that we not use any of the old stuff so that we don't claim any of it. So we actually had to tell Merle and Alan Hammock and everybody else working on the game, you are not allowed to look at the old Top secret. You have to make a brand new one completely from scratch. And they did. Uh, So, And I think the system works a lot better for somebody who's a gamer today because a percentile-based system is not that fast. It's not that easy for a uh, a, – we want college-age gamers to play this and high school-age gamers. Uh, So we use a die-pool system where basically if you get better at something, you get to use a bigger dice. So you might – so you have these different attributes and you might have a – intellect of d4 which means you're really kind of dumb all the way up to an intellect of d12 which means you're a genius and when you need to do something that involves using your intellect that goes into your die pool that bigger dice does because you're always just trying to roll a 13 so it's a very simple system you're always trying to roll a 13 you have a certain size of dice to roll did you do it yes or no Uh, but it's completely different from the original top secret you'd have to learn a new a new system but luckily you can learn it in about two minutes
1: Okay. And, and, and one of the things we said, we wouldn't talk about politics, but one thing I thought yeah. about last night, you know, in this culture that we have and, you know, there's, you're dealing with the modern era. You're making adventures in the modern era. Yeah. Did you, do you ever have to worry about the settings and the adventure and the cultures that you portray and that people may take it beyond what you meant to have it? You, know, you you talk about something in Afghanistan. You talk, I'm sure there's other, you know, espionage, whether it's with the, you know, if, if it's America-based, you know, against China or Russia. Does that even play into that? And if you do, what, what's your take on that? I know what we talked about with politics, but how, how do you do yeah. that as a game owner and designer?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good question because, so, so one of the advantages of playing a game set in the modern world is that you don't have to do as much prep because if so, for example, when I play the game, I often just bust out Google Maps like we were uh, playing the other night in a adventure that I'm currently writing called Compromat, and it's all set in Istanbul. And I didn't have some of it fleshed out. So the players said we want to go to a uh, they had to hide out for the night, so they were looking for a, uh, a Turkish bath that would be open 24 hours. So I said, let's just hop on Google Street View, and you can walk down the street, and we'll see what happens. Uh, so that makes it really fun. Like, you can just use that stuff. And I tell players, if you need to look something up on your phone in the middle of a game, go for it. Your, your, your character has a phone. Why don't you? Uh, but then there's the flip side of it that you mentioned. So there's a difference between what somebody wants to do in their home game and what somebody wants to do, you know, in a published adventure. Uh, If somebody in their home game chooses to make a particular group, uh, like, you know, the Russians, they're like, you know what? I really like Russians, and I think they're the good guys. Okay, cool. You know, great. It's your home game. Do whatever you want. Uh, You know, I want to have this group of militia members save the world. Okay, cool. That's your home game. Do what you want. But in the published stuff, we're kind of walking a line between uh, we want realism. Like, I did not want the new Top Secret to be like a James Bond kind of thing where you have fictional enemies to go against and you're shooting laser beams out of shark's eyes and everything else Um, um, or some kind of get smart or whatever. (laughs) I mean, I think that's fun. And if you're in your home game, if you want to have something where you play Moonraker, go for it. But we wanted this game to feel a lot more gritty. Like, okay. I, basically, the flavor of this game is not James Bond. It's more uh, Jason Bourne.
1: Right. Right. Or a newer Bond, less, more t- refined yeah. Bond, not as over-the-top, yeah. Yeah. you know, ridiculousness. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. So that means that we actually talk about real things. Like uh, in the adventure that I'm working on right now, you one of the people you come up against is some Iranian Quds forces, which is part of their you know uh, revolutionary guard. And having that realism and that real world stuff makes it more fun because you can look the things up. And the weapons and the cars and all that are real weapons and real cars. Uh, But what we avoid is getting into anything, not even for political reasons, but just because it would be out of date really quickly. So we avoid specific current events. So there would not be a published adventure about Russian meddling in the election, for example, because never mind what somebody's personal take on it is, that game is not going to be fun in three years. Hopefully, we're not going to be talking about stuff like that three years from now. You know, Um, I would not do a game about COVID. Because that's just going to be old really quickly. Uh, And yeah, so there are some things I think, you know, you can't avoid having some political things come into your game, uh, especially your home game. But what we've done is that in Top Secret, the players, first of all, they don't work for any one country. Because I wanted the game to avoid nationalist partisanship. So everybody works for a group called ICON, the International Covert Operations Network. And the idea is that all these spy masters around the world their bosses are all idiots. Every one of these presidents and prime ministers and emirs and everybody else, they're just political tools and they're making a mess of the world. And the spy masters are the only ones that know how to really keep the peace. So they kind of go behind their bosses back and they took a little money out of their black budgets and they're like, oh, I'd never mind what I spent that on. And they used it to create Icon. And it's their back channel way of trying to keep the world from blowing up.
1: So you created the deep state that is the now- deepest the deepest of states that is actually running everything. Deep. So well, oh, at least I'm they're just...
2: doing their best to make sure things don't fall <laughs> apart, yeah.
1: Um, and they're we the really good deep it, state, like, that's right. Yeah, well, hopefully. <laughs> um,
2: you know, so, so that's, so that's kind of the way that we avoid, because if somebody's uh, hopefully playing the game in China, I want them to be able to be like, yeah, I'm the good guys. Uh, if right. they're playing it in Pakistan, I want them to be like, I'm the good guys. If they're playing it even in America, even Americans can be good guys, right? Right. So. Uh, But there are a couple of places where I probably put my thumb on the scales a little bit. So I'll give you one example of that. Uh, Well, I don't even think it's political. I think it's more like when you write a game, you have certain ways that you want it to play and you use the rules to create that. So for example, in our game, uh, you're meant to be a spy. You're not meant to be a commando. Like we talked about, getting your bazooka and your street right. sweeper and everything. Exactly. So in this game, basically uh, guns, it's actually pretty hard to hit somebody in combat. Cause we looked at all the statistical tables of police shootings and soldiers in combat. And when you're under stress, it's very hard to stop and aim. It's not like being at the gun range, right? Where you're like, oh, I'm such a good shot. Yeah. Cause no one's shooting at you when someone's shooting you, it's hard to hit back. So it's hard to hit someone in the game, but when, you do get shot, there's a very good chance you're going to die. Uh, so that's one way to kind of put our thumb on the scale to kind of remind people this is a game of espionage, not shoot em up But then uh, other things, like we have an interrogation section, you know, because everybody's going to get in a situation where at some point you have to interrogate the bad guy. And people are going to be like, well, I'm going to torture him. I, yeah. I, I love Jack Ryan on 24, or not Jack Ryan, but... I. Uh, Jack Bauer Bauer, on 24. And so I'm going to like cut off his ears and take his toes, especially if you've got somebody who's like 14 years old, right? They're going to be like, I'm going to torture him. And I really want this game to be played by people's kids, by 14 and 18 year olds. And I don't want people walking away thinking that what they ought to do is spend all their time shooting up the world, doing a bunch of drugs and torturing people
1: so okay well you had me just before then but that i thought that was the tagline for the new world order
2: take drugs torture." so 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 the point is that the guns are really deadly and yeah. if you torture someone in our game the rules basically say yeah you can do it you can get information out but the more you hurt them the more they're going to lie just to get you to stop hurting them
1: yeah they're going to say whatever so you want to certain things like that i'm sorry dan what were you going to say
0: no, I was just going to say James hasn't uh, changed much since he was 14. No, exactly.
1: I mean, I, I would put five. I've got five levels in, in waterboarding. What do you mean I'm not going to torture? That's ex- that's I'm, yeah. I'm sitting so, in the back the waiting. The thing back.
2: is, in this game, it'll totally work. You'll get the guy to talk. It's just that he's going to say anything to get right. you to stop doing it. Right. Because basically, I want this game to be played by kids. Right. I mean, that's what ga- games are for us as adults, but they're for kids. And I want it to be a good influence. I don't want people walking away from it like they just played Grand Theft Auto and they're going to go, you know, kill a hooker or something. Right. Well, so, and, and, but you know, I, want, I want parents to be happy that their kids are playing the game.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and again, unfortunately, people, once you release it, like in any artist, you release it in the world and people are going to now do what they're going to do with it. But at least your effort was to prescribe that, you know, just like in anything that you can't do certain things or you should try not to do certain things or there are consequences. And I think that's fair. I was, cons- a go ahead. I'm sorry. Believer in,
2: I'm a big believer in, you know, kind of the golden era when, when Jimmy Stewart was the person we'd look to for like how to be, or, um, Gregory Peck, uh, or, you know, or Clint Eastwood back in the day when he was the good guy. Right. Um, I really like that idea that, we're, that there are such a thing as good guys that are supposed to be honorable and have a good reputation. And I, I want a game where that's why we even have a reputation mechanic. I want you to be the one that you're, you're proud of what you did over.
0: Any, any, I'm sorry, Dan, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask him his alignment, your, <laughs> <laughs> your, your personal alignment. What, it sounds like you're trending you, on the good side there. James claims he's neutral good. I'm, I'm lawful neutral.
2: Chaotic good.
0: Chaotica.
2: Okay. Yep.
0: There, yeah, fair so, enough.
1: So, uh, yeah, the other part was, you know, unfortunately, we deal with a lot of cultural, what is perceived as cultural appropriation. Yes. Or some of that, too. That's That was the other part to this. So it's I'm, really really glad you,
2: yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up, actually, because that's another thing that um, I find it super frustrating when somebody puts out something that they just don't know about. Right? Like... Um, all right, I'm going to wade in and people can get mad at me for this, but I think Oriental Adventures is a terrible book.
1: Oh my goodness. You're going to have there's minions not on. He would, uh, and, and I would argue it's not terrible, but go ahead. I want to hear your point.
2: Well, basically it's terrible because not because it tried to be the intention was really good, right? Like all good intentions and tons of research. But at the end of the day, it reads like somebody looking from the outside and exoticizing something. And it just, you know, kind of like, ugh, it's just. I always think of it this way you know, like the concept of stolen valor mm-hmm. in the military? Like, if you have spent your life, maybe even if you're a combat veteran, you've gone through things that other people can't understand. And you've done things that you, you've worked so hard and you've earned this badge that you've earned these medals, you've earned this uniform. And if you see somebody just kind of wander in and be like, hey, I researched all about Vietnam. I'm going to pretend I was there. You're you're going to punch that guy in the head, right? That's stolen Valor. He's he's basically pretending to to know you when he doesn't. Um, and while I think you can write a good military novel if you've never been in the military, I'd rather read one that was written by a Navy SEAL than somebody who, you know, Dodge of the draft, right? And so it's the same kind of thing. If I'm reading about something that's got a lot of cultural references in it, all things being equal, if there's the opportunity from somebody who's actually from that culture to write it, I feel like they're going to do a better job. I'm not saying nobody else can do it, and I'm not saying they shouldn't, but I'm saying that, like, if we write something that's based in the Middle East or that's based in China or whatever. At the very least, I want somebody who's from there to read it before I put it out and tell me, how does this read to you? Did the names that we use make sense? Were we mocking things when we should have been treating them seriously? Were we being too serious about things that are actually goofy and fun? But the best thing is if I can just get somebody who's actually you know, from that culture to write it in the first place, then I know that it's like, OK, at least that perspective is going to be better. And then as a player, when I pick it up, I'm going to feel like I'm getting something more authentic. So um, I think with a game like Top Secret, you've got to include all these different cultural references because otherwise it doesn't feel real. I just think you... Now that we have the Internet and we have gamers from all over the world, why don't we go ahead and get involvement from the people who actually know the stuff really well and have them be involved?
1: It looks like like I faded out here. Yeah, I I, I think, you know, OA is a a product of its time. And I wasn't a huge fan of it at the time just because it was already devolving the game. You know, that's post. Unearthed Arcana, the book that shall not be named. That's all, one <laughs> one point five to me. That's AD and D one point five. It's a and and I had the same. You know, two two E was not my game, and this all felt moving towards it. I, I think it, it because it's a product of the time. I mean, they did have testers from uh, uh, Japan, and you know, the the issue is I don't take it as seriously. Just like D and D is an amalgam of Western civilization, I don't sit here and go, well, they didn't stress. Greek ancestry as much as they did German and Northern European, it's a game. And it's not well, a represent- i I I'm not mad about it. I don't No, mean, I understand, not- but there's some people who are viscerally they they're they're asking for it to be removed and pulled from history. And to I, me that's a I, I, I don't believe in going back
2: and throwing things down the memory hole. I think that's stupid. Um, you know, I mean, can you imagine if think of all the times people tried to take uh Tom Sawyer off the off the shelf, you know, it's like, we got to, we got to know about that. It doesn't mean we have to agree with it. It just means we got to know about it. So don't take it away. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And there's context Uh, to it. And, and, and for me, it provided at least some more understanding as a 16 year old, you know, and and there was a lot of oriental uh, uh, filio at the time, you know, Shogun had come out and all these, everyone was obsessed with Japan in a lot of ways and they lumped it in with China and yes, there is the American hubris of kind of lumping the rest of the world in kind of neat little boxes of, you know, this is Asia, <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute, Asia is pretty diverse. So you're, you're kind of yeah. lumping everything in, and, but it's a product of the time.
2: Like, yeah, no, I, I I agree with that. I mean, I guess what I'm thinking is that, like, it's really painful sometimes to go back and look at a lot of the stuff in pop culture from oh, that sure. time and realize yeah. just what a narrow viewpoint we had because there was like a one little group of people making everything. And so nobody had a bad intention. It's just like, didn't know better. Right. Yeah. But it's kind of like if you take something like Oriental adventures and you go and you say, I'm going to have it read by people in Japan, that's one thing. But being Japanese from Japan is a completely different situation than being Japanese American being an American who has Japanese ancestry. Sure. And so what happened was, you know, in the 80s, the 90s, whatever, a lot of kids, a lot of American kids grew up being teased and made fun of and mocked or not even mocked, sometimes just, you know, put into pigeonholes. They're like, oh, you must be good at math. And it's like, dude, I'm a person. I got other things I'm into. You know, I suck at math actually, right? And I just think that that kind of stuff contributed to this narrow view. And now we got this really cool thing where the internet and everybody can talk to everybody and sometimes they're total dicks to each other and they should try to be a little bit more considerate of viewpoints and know that, you know, they're, they're also talking to humans. But the nice thing is, we can now actually have people tell their side of the story, and I think it's better now.
0: I, so, I have a question that's mildly related. What's your view of the monk?
2: You know, I've never played a monk, and um, I think it takes a really good player to play, just like a bard, right? Like you've got. That a was really, the next question. <laughs> yeah, I've never played either one, um, but I think it's. I think they're really cool classes. I've always. When I, when I would read Dragon Magazine, I was one of those people that wanted to use all the NPC classes for actual PCs.
0: Of course. They're I, I mean, cool. it's, it's terrible. It's, it's the same in the, in the demons and demigods. When they gave stats, they were tempting. Exactly. If you're going to give me an NPC and, and you tell me the, how many experience points I need, for because do you really need to know the experience point amount if
2: it's an NPC? Yeah. Not really. They're, how they're tempting you. Not, how am I not fighting Thor? Come on. <laughs> right? Why does what's he have the, what's an AC? the push spell? Exactly. Yeah. Well, if you're not supposed to hit him, why does he have an AC? What, <laughs> what's your What's your favorite? If you can
0: remember, oh, favorite Dragon Magazine NPC, if you have one. Oh, class. Yeah. So like that. Oh. You were like, yeah, I want to play that. Like we had we had Lou Pulsifer on recently, whose Necromancer from White Dwarf was quite controversial. A lot of people were very upset about the Necromancer class because he felt like it was tempting people to play this horrible character. <laughs> and he's like, calm down. it's, it's supposed to be an NPC.
2: Yeah, no, you know, that, you now you kind of put me on the spot. I can't think of one, but um,
0: not grave digger. Oh wait, was it grave master? What was it, James? What was that one that would go and dig graves? Yeah, something like that, right? Yeah.
1: Well, there was yeah. there was duelist. I remember the alchemist, the duelist. Duelist was cool.
0: What was yeah. wasn't there? A, wasn't Archer, there like what
2: was wasn't there a jester? Jester,
0: jester thank you jester. The jester jester the archer correct correct so uh in the, the alchemist link, now we
1: have the link boy we we should send that to jason he can we
0: break. created a link
1: boy npc he's <laughs> just the link guy boy. the guy who holds the torch he's a, called the link boy <laughs> at the,
0: at maximum level four
1: he's the fourth oh, level that's link awesome
2: boy. yeah so <laughs> yeah, what, what, that what can you do as a fourth level link boy oh my goodness well
0: well, though, no, this is, about, I think this okay, could be so a matter of some controversy. So, Rob Ritchie, one of our, our listeners, created it. And what he did was you increase your ability, actually, the range. Now, you may not like this because you're probably, I'm sure you're obviously very familiar with the distance of the light sources in the PH Player's Handbook. He said you actually in, you get more skilled. And so, it actually increases the, the distance, I think, at which you can do it. So, that, that, you that's know, a
2: great skill.
0: Well, I lobbied for that you at fourth level, you should be able to like cast light spell. But he said, no, they're not mad. It was very much like responding in like the sage advice or something He's like, no, I'm sorry. They're not magical that oh, they can't awesome. do that. Like, it's a fact. They're not. <laughs> yeah. Boys are not. <laughs> they can't do it. You're wrong. You don't. You're confused.
2: <laughs> I, I, I would love to do that. I would completely play one like Adam Sandler in Waterboy. That would be my Link Boy character. He,
0: he played in the adventure we did online with Jody Nye and Bill Foss. He played the Link Boy, and it was very well, huge. Very...
2: Mama, mama says that I can have a big light. Yes. My, light is he, very he, my mama says it's a good light.
1: Yes. This is pure flame. Pure flame. This is pure flame. Uh, and, oh, and he actually covered his face like he had a burn on him. He had a bur- like a cloth covering his burn because yes. he had terrible That's oil accidents.
0: With, with flame, was he was like hit by a fireball or something? I can't.
1: So, just real quick, Dan, one question from the chat that I didn't get to. uh, Actually, Vic, the Scourge of the North, asked this, since you've been talking about classes. What class would you redo uh, from first edition, core books Mm. only? Assassin. Okay. And what would you do?
2: It's really frustrating to me because um, in AD&D, it's basically written with a human bias and a good bias, primarily. Like, you can play Demi-Humans, but they've got level limits, they have these other kind of things coming into play, and you can play an evil character, but almost everything in the world is set up for you to be a good guy against the forces of evil, right? Right. And so then, and, and you can't even use poison unless you're evil. It's an evil act to even use it at all. And then you have this class that basically has to be evil, and they use poison, and they're supposed to go adventuring with other characters. Like I just, it, yeah. it's, it's difficult for me to play it well. And if I were redoing it, I would probably create it more like the assassins in Terry Pratchett's discworld The ones from the assassins guild, you know, it's an honorable profession. You're doing it for, you know, it's not something that you should enjoy, but you, you know, it's a job. You have to do this. Sometimes a person has to be assassinated It's not necessarily an evil act. It's a political thing or whatever.
0: Yeah, and what we learned was it's a shame the way they are written that way. They have to be evil because we – I had not remembered their spying ability, which is very interesting too, right? And something that could be used and be a lot of fun, not necessarily to go kill somebody but just to infiltrate and get information.
2: Yeah, you know what? I think if you're rewriting it, um, and you know, it's like a fun thing to talk about. Now we're probably wrong in seven different ways about it, but whatever. If you were rewriting it, maybe instead of an assassin class, it would be a spy, because they could have these assassination capabilities, but focus more on the stealth and the the spying. And then you can have your top secret, you know, D and D crossover. Finally.
0: Yeah, I, I think that would be great. What is your view? You know, James, I got to ask these questions. I'm sorry. Yeah. Good gnomes because we got to figure out if you're on the james side of thing or the dan side of things what's your view of gnomes in first edition um, as a race character to I, play
2: i've never played a gnome i love uh, the folkloric gnomes, you know, the Scandinavian kind of thing. And so, if I ever did play a gnome, I'd probably be so obsessed with playing them as some sort of like Scandinavian druid that I'd never get around to adventuring. So I'd just be like riding <laughs> a sparrow all day long. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> Fair <laughs> well, enough. What's your, what's your views?
0: I'm I'm pro gnome. I love gnomes. Uh, James is anti gnome.
1: They're derivative of dwarfs. They're not. They That's oh, so dwarfs. Thank you. No, a gnome
2: is is, is fanciful and, and, and mischievous. Thank you. And I mean Terry again, Terry that's, Pratchett, that's, go look at his gnomes.
1: They are That's a that's a Pixie. No nah, Pixie a, play a Pixie. There's no Pixie PCs. Wow that's that's there's a reason why you don't need them <laughs> so james says checkmate
2: <laughs> no i mean I all it. all of the fake creatures all of the uh you know the we folk and everything in folklore they mix together so much you know so you can really kind of take it wherever you want to starting to create those divisions at this point is a lot of retconning um you know thousand year old mythology
1: i liked them when they were monsters before they were player characters. Yeah, I think you know, they were monsters. Yeah, that's right. Fair enough. That's what they should.
2: They well, should. I mean, every everything's a monster, even humans.
1: That's right. Well, they they, they didn't gra- they shouldn't have graduated. But uh, go ahead, Dan. Okay, and the last the
0: last question I have: I, Are you a Lord of the Rings fan? I, it's not my question, really. I need to. Oh, so you may not. The next yeah, question no, is I've real. I've
2: question. read I've read everything except the Silmarillion. Yeah, I haven't either. And um, I like the Hobbit best.
0: <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong. I think The Hobbit's great. James, you read The Hobbit recently, and you were surprised how much you liked it. Correct? I did like The Hobbit. I, I like it Hobbit. better
1: than Lord of the Rings because it's simple. It's I'm a simple man. I like simple I, stories. I like the, I like the books. I
2: like the Rankin Bass uh, movies. I did not like Peter Jackson's movies very much. Oh, because um, I just thought they were they never turned the lights on once for the entire like 95 hours. So you know.
0: So the question was going to be about Tom Bombadil. It sounds like you may not have love, strong
2: feelings. I love Tom Bombadil. Yes, oh, Tom thank Bombadil you. Is one of my favorite characters in fiction. Uh, there should there should be more Tom Bombadil fanfic out there.
0: Thank you. All right, there it is. Yep, he's on my side. Well, you uh, know, if uh, I like uh, no, uh, I'm going to uh, like Bombadil.
2: Yeah. yeah. I, I you know who you know who should have written an entire Tom Bombadil? Philip Jose Farmer, the guy who wrote Riverworld. He could have done an amazing Tom Bombadil novel. Why didn't that happen?
1: Mm. I think it, I think the, the, it answers itself, because there's <laughs> an audience of two. I'm yeah. sorry, three. Four. Yeah. Stephen Colbert. Yes. Uh, you guys. And who was the other one who, who liked Tom Bombadil? There's one other person. Everyone Is else there? was. There I was, was another one who said they, like, I, I'm not going to keep track of the Tom Bombadil fan club. That's oh, not Jim, my, War- uh, Jim Ward. Jim Ward.
2: I feel like Tom Bombadil must have been the thing that got all of those like nineteen sixties acid tripping hippies into Lord of the Rings in the first place. That's that's like their spiritual brother.
0: Oh, maybe that's what it, that's what it was.
2: Yeah, he was very psychedelic. Tom Bombadil was.
0: Yeah, indeed. Uh, all right, James. Anything else in the chat? Well,
1: we uh, have kept Jason. We, uh yeah. Pretty much, we've kept you for two hours. Which, again, we're sorry if that. Yeah, I gotta get my beyond. waffles. Yeah, you said he even said you're between me and waffles, and I felt bad. But uh, (laughs) uh, but we said we're on as long as you want, and and that's why when I thought he he was going to get up, he he was going to get that. But uh, another, I'm going to I'm going to plug
2: one more thing. If if you go to our tsrgames.com, there's a store there. Another game that we have for sale is called The Hunt. Um, And in The Hunt, you are it's basically uh, the Running Man um, as as a skirmish game. It is. Really good at conventions, and uh, there's going to be a new version of it in about a year. And we're selling out the last of these from the 1990s, the original ones. So check it out.
1: Well, great. And that's TSRgames.com, so you can yep. go out there. Is that your preferred place to, for people to buy the uh, game products? Yeah, that we we
2: uh we have a warehouse in Florida that ships things now, so they actually go out on time. Back you know a couple of years ago, it was a little slower when they shipped from my house. So now it's pretty trustworthy. Um, so yeah, go there to buy stuff.
1: Well, I wasn't sure if like drive RPG or some other places to get it. Yeah,
2: you, know. you can get PDF versions of it, but who wants a PDF?
1: No, I agree. I, well, and some like when we talked to Jody Lynn, we we wanted to ask her where where she get the most money. You know, for her books, is it? She actually said, uh, "the you know." The uh, Amazon, the Audibles, is, is actually a pretty good deal for her from a from an mm-hmm. artist perspective. So she's bigger
2: going to yeah. She's bigger than we are.
1: Yeah. Well, clearly. Yeah. But still, same thing. We want to make sure you get the most money if you're going to buy it through Amazon or whatever or third party. You may not get it as much as if they call through uh, TSRGames.com.
2: And, yeah. and um, also, if you just want to get a bunch of free downloads and stuff and learn some more things about playing Top Secret, it's. Um, TopSecretNWO.com. So, New World Order.
1: Well, and and if we do have a convention uh, in the springtime, we will. You have an open invitation. We would love for you to come on down. We'll kind of talk yeah. about that later if it happens. Come, come to
0: Florida is what you're saying.
1: Yes. So, who, who wouldn't want to do that? Yeah. Well, California's a hot environment.
0: environment. California's, California's a hot here. spot.
1: What's the difference? That's it's true. Florida. California. <laughs> That's we're trying true. to beat you. We're trying. We're trying to get up to half a million as well. But it's. We got less yeah. people, so we got to work harder at infecting each other, <laughs> which we're working hard at. But uh, Jason, it's been a pleasure. Uh, yeah, thank thanks, you guys. so much for your time. We really do appreciate it. The- do we want to
0: roll? Do you want to roll the D ten? Yes,
1: there's one. We have a tradition here: that guest, if you have a D ten, rolls the D ten to see how well the, the show was.
0: One. Guess how being good the show is, because the dice don't lie. Dice do not okay.
1: lie. D ten. Thank D10. you. It's the honor system. You tell us what you roll. Eight. 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 Yeah.
0: I think, that's, that's about, I think that's, that sounds right to me.
1: That sounds that sounds like a good... No no modifier <laughs> needed there. It was, it, it was a, <laughs> yep. it was a good right. roll. Thank you and for if your If it had time. been a
2: two, I would call it Descending Armor Class, and it was still great. <laughs> that's
1: that, right. That, there you go. Plate, go. We'll use that. Plate Mail and Shield. But thank you, Jason, for your time. It was really great. We really appreciate it. We'll, we need to uh, see if we can give a giveaway, get one of your... Uh, New World Orders or some product that you think is good, we'll buy it and we'll give it away to our patrons because uh, oh, yeah. you know, a, a lot of things. So we'll, we'll catch up with you after, and uh, I know you sent those pictures. I'll put them up. If you have links that you want in the YouTube or the podcast, just make sure I have them and I'll put them up there okay. as well. I'll so, send them to you after I have my waffles. Yes, yeah, no rush, no rush. I'm, I'm done. I'm ready. This is we're on five hours, so this will be my wife will be looking at me odd. Ah, if I if I don't get done by noon, she just gets mad. But this was great. So on All behalf right. of Grog Talk, I'm James, and I'm Dan, and so we'll see you next time on Grog Talk. Take care.
0: This is a Bushy
1: Puppy production. All rights reserved.